Blank Check is one episode away from winning 20 million rupees. How did they do it? A. They cheated. B. They're lucky. C. They're geniuses. D. It is podcasted. Good. Sure. Great. Thank you. You could have said anything there and I would have been happy. Written. I think the poster for this movie is so bad. It is. It's wild how chaotic so you can it is. Talk, please weigh in on this. Hi. Just, just what do you think of the poster? Well, uh, before we introduce you, we will introduce you. I promise. Your screen went dim. Hold on. Hit oh, the. Sorry. Hit the. Yeah. Look, it was two thousand eight, and it was two thousand eight. That was when floating head posters were at their peak. His head be floating. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is it's it's like four different bad trends at the same time. I feel like it's also a poster that has like multiple taglines on it. Uh, it does have a couple taglines. It's the it, multiple choice structure, it's but the, it's different than the opening line I just read. Right. It's got the sort of simplified who wants to be a millionaire uh, motif. Mm-hmm. The font is bad. The font looks yes. really trashy. Can, can you read what the four, the question What does is? it take to find a lost love? Okay. A, money, B, luck, C, smarts, D, destiny. Yeah, that kind of sucks. All of the above? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's just a bad poster. That's all. I'm just saying it's a bad poster. It is. It's it's a it's an incredibly busy poster. And the British one sheet was this, right? Which makes it look like it's like a comedy about a couple who gets married. Yeah, calling it the feel good film of the decade. It's just wild uh, how different the two posters are. Because the American poster basically feels like it's hiding both of its actors' faces. Right. <laughs> Even though it is a giant floating head poster, it is a floating head They're that is both, so dim. Yeah, in shadow. Right. It's right. like he's a Sith waiting to be revealed. He does, yes. like, he does look awakens. villainous. He's a yes. little sidious I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know what's wild? What? This movie made $150 million domestic? It made $141 million domestically and almost $400 million worldwide. Yes. So I was interested in this uh, stat because I, I think this is a thing we'll probably talk about a fair amount. This movie won a Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but it was like uh, maybe the last time there was a Best Picture winner that was this popular with the general public. And this is the year that basically breaks the Oscars. This is the year of no Dark Knight. Right. right. Dark Knight not getting no nominated. Wally, yes. and to a lesser extent, also Gran Torino, I would say. You had these three movies that were like populist favorites that all failed to get nominations in lieu of uh, Frost Nixon and The get, Reader. Had to get Frost Nixon in there. Slipping in there. Yeah. And the Academy loses their fucking minds and changes <laughs> everything and keeps changing everything to try to solve that problem. Meanwhile, this is the highest grossing best picture winner of the last 15 years. Like nothing has King's Speech it. beats it by a little bit overseas, uh-huh, but, but this beats it domestically. Right. And that's the only one that even comes close. Yes. This is the last time a, a best picture winner basically becomes a blockbuster because of it winning best picture too. That's right. the other thing. Like 40% of amazing. its gross comes after the win. Wow. Yeah, and the stat was that that was the largest percentage post-Oscar win for any movie since Titanic. How many Best Picture winners have we covered? The Hurt Locker. The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. The... There are other ones. Titanic. The The Titanic. The Titanic. The Forrest Gump. The Forrest Gump. 
Ang Lee won Best Director twice, but lost two times. Yeah, he didn't win Best Picture. Uh, the Terms of Endearment. The Terms. That might be it. So this is our sixth? So, but we've covered a few. We've covered a few. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Because we never, we never covered... Uh, I don't even know what the funny answer is here. We never covered Cimarron. Yeah, funny. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's funny. Yeah, no, I look, I, who knows what's funny anymore? I, I mean, you can't say anything these days. Comedy is illegal. You're not allowed <laughs> to make a joke about doing an episode on the Cimarron. Introduce our podcast and our guest, and then we can uh, talk about it. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It is written. <laughs> I mean, it is yeah, written. Then I will say that. Yes. It is written. That yes. It is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they win 20 million rupees. This is a mini series on the films of Danny Boyle. It is called Train Spodcasting. That's right. There are many people who were disappointed it was not called Slum Pod Million Cast, cast including right. me. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Call us out. I mean, it, you need the Indian perspective on this. I would have been okay with it. That's would, the only opinion you need. That wasn't my problem. Here's my thing. Okay. So I'm very outspoken on this show about I like to go for the sweatiest combination mm -hmm. of podcast and movie title possible. And then anytime we land on a title that is not sweaty enough for our listeners, they're like, oh, I guess Griffin lost the argument. And right. I'm like, they didn't like that it was podcast away or whatever. Right. Which I want to do as pod as a cast and you push for podcast news. Yeah. And your argument was, if broadcast right. is in the title, you right. have to do it. Yeah. And I felt similarly, train spotting, uh, pod is basically in there. Right. It's stupid not to do it. I understand Slum Pod Million Cast is funnier in terms of sweatiness, but I was like, definitively, it's this. But that is what it's called. It's called train spodcasting. Our guest today, overdue on the show, Santa Laka, here to talk about. Slumdog Millionaire, Best Hi. Picture winner. Can I speak? Yes. Okay, good. Just in general. I'm yeah, you are. Sure. Oh, you have infinite permission <laughs> to speak. No, no, I'm going to do that from time to time and be like, wait, is it is my turn to talk? Anytime. There's no turns here. <laughs> no turns. It's no a turnless turns, just, game. Just, just a lot of talking over each other. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, some people don't like that, but yeah. that is how it goes here. Welcome to the podcast. We're here to talk about the film that won Danny Boyle. An Oscar. Yes. And as you in said, the middle of his career. Almost by accident. It feels like this guy won Best Picture by accident to some degree. A little. I'm just, I'm sure he was not rolling up his sleeves on this project no. thinking, like, you know what? I want an Oscar. And you know what? This is the movie to get it. Yes. Like, you know, this is such obvious Oscar bait. This is such obvious box office catnip. Like, this is the kind of thing Americans will eat up. You know, uh, right. you know, it's just the 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 way it took the sort of uh, movie world by storm starting with Toronto mm -hmm. I think came largely out of nowhere yeah well infamously this movie was originally going to be released by Warner Brothers who had recently shut down Warner's Independent their specialty arm and they looked at this film and they went you know, straight to DVD <laughs> and they were like we can't release this this is going nowhere and they were going to put it straight to DVD. And I think Danny Boyle and his team said, can we see if anyone else wants to buy it? Fox Searchlight picked it up for a song, put it in Toronto, it exploded, and then suddenly it became like the juggernaut, the unstoppable. And as I was saying, a populist favorite. Like mm -hmm. this is the movie yeah, it was, yeah. that everyone wanted to see win Best Picture in the public. I guess so. Part, But 
it was there was so much where's the dark knight talk yeah but yeah of, of the five nominees of the nominees unquestionable i think so uh, yeah i was more of a curious case of benjamin button guy and that's fine i <laughs> look you know, it's I, a movie i prefer i think i prefer that movie too uh, of the five nominees milk is my favorite milk would probably be my pick of the five nominees right i don't really care for frost nixon or the reader I cannot stand the reader. Frog, yeah. Frost Nixon is, you know, whatever. That's like a, a can of seltzer. Reader, I think, is a, a, an abysmal film. Uh, Sid, have you have you Sid read Hunt. Sid Hunt? Yeah, thank you. Have you have you read the reader? I have not read the reader. Read I've the seen reader. the reader. Okay, but I I, I read the book. You I've read, read the, the I've read like good. the title of the movie. Sure, sure. So that I know counts. what it says. So it's the yes. reader. Do yes. you okay. like? The reader? Do you remember? That's the Hugh Jackman year, right? I, I never never remember. Saw the reader. Yeah, that was funny, but right. I don't really remember the reader. That was the first or the second year that I was really getting into like, oh, these are Oscar movies. I'm I sure. watch them. Mm -hmm. So a whole bunch of like piracy because none of this had released in India at the time where I was living. Um, but I don't really remember much of the reader other than does she like kill herself at the end? Maybe? <sighs> possibly? You know, I've read the book. I've seen the film. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't well, tell. I believe it. Yes, she kills yeah. herself. All she right. Okay. Okay. All right. I just, had to, I I just had to scan the uh, yep. Wikipedia yep. page there. Sorry for being a horrible guest so far. No, just no. Because of her complicity no. in the Holocaust. Yes. Um, yeah, no, that book is good. That book is sort of really? like an acknowledged, you know, okay. major work yeah. of sort of like post-Holocaust German, like what, you know, how do we confront and deal with, uh, you know, our feelings about this and the legacy I'll, of I'll this. acknowledge the movie as a piece of dog shit about dealing with the legacy of, are we really going to nominate Stephen Daldry every single time. It's not a very good movie. He makes a movie? I was trying to remember, like, okay, what was that Oscar year? But right, that's the Hugh Jackman year. Yes. Where everyone was like, oh, is that going to work? Like, you're hiring a non-comedian to yeah. host it. And then he did a good job, and everyone sort of had a good time. Yeah, and pretty much every year since then, people go, why don't you just hire someone like Hugh Jackman again? Yeah, has, has anyone, time. forget Top, does anyone come close to Hugh Jackman as a host so far? I, I think, well, no, David... Look, I mean, I'm going to sound ridiculous saying uh -huh. this yes. right now. Yes. Uh oh. But Ellen I did agree. a fine oh, okay. job. I think Ellen did a good job host. for two years. Yeah. Uh, and that was after Hugh Jackman. Now, yeah. Ellen is not a perfect person. No. Uh, but, a kind uh, person, I, but has some other faults. Uh, but I remember those Deeply shows kind. being fine. Generous. Uh, and her thoughtful. being, you know, like. Yeah, you know, she's a pretty seasoned. Yes, I guess only one of hers was post Jackman. The first was okay, she was she was uh, the bread and the Jackman sandwich. Uh, <laughs> post Jackman is Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin, right. which I remember being kind of a dud. Yeah, but the the Martin solo years were those good. are amazing. Yeah, Franco Hathaway obviously doesn't work. The Crystal Comeback. You think that didn't work? <laughs> the Franco Hathaway. Uh, it didn't work, but it's aged great. Yes. Um, the Crystal Comeback obviously was sort of like everyone was like, oh right, this is why we. Actually, we, didn't we took some time this. away. Yeah. Seth MacFarlane. Uh huh. So it's getting really, maybe that's yeah. also with Ellen came in. You're like, oh, right. A, a comedian who can host a show. Right. Okay. Neil Patrick Harris, another problem. Yes. Show. Which felt like them trying to replicate the Hugh Jackman thing mm -hmm. of get someone who's more of an entertainer than yes. a comedian, but is light, can be funny. And, but then they did Chris, Chris Rock's second stint, which I remember yeah. being quite funny. Yeah. And then the two Kimmel years, which were like fine. Sure. And then three years of no host, and then the uh, Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes trifecta. Yeah, last year. Which it's funny, it, you don't even remember that they hosted the show last year. No, how Will, memorable Will that show. Right was. hand hosted that <laughs> show last year. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that happened. Yeah, he that slapped happened. Chris I Rock. Got all about that. And did you hear? They're going to have Oscar cops this year. They've assembled a, an God. emergency task That's force what we need. to I, make sure no one gets slapped. I just love the idea of them like running scenarios. Yeah. Being like, all right, okay, maybe Tom Cruise is going to like pour soup on someone's head. Like, what do we do? Right? They're like, they're throwing out they scenarios. They got a contingency like, plan for everything. <laughs> You you had an Oscar cops take you you seem like you were gearing up to say just, something about the Oscar task. I was force. just going to say, huh? I wonder if they're going to bring up the slap at all. Oh yeah, no, they won't. Kimmel, no, no, he he's going to be there. respectful. Yeah, <laughs> look, it's been almost he's a year. He's going to ride out on a plaster cast of a hand, right? <laughs> like he's going to go all. You have to. Yeah. Uh, no, Kimmel. Uh, whoa, whoa. It's been a year. It's been a year. It's been a year. I don't think this is too spicy a take. It's been. Yeah, <laughs> man. I don't think it's a too spicy a take, but this is a thing I've thought for a while, okay? Everyone, it went, how, how, how did this happen? How could this happen? In what universe could Willard Smith think it was a good idea to get on stage? That's his full name? And I did him. not know that. We his fucked up Willard in a Men in Black episode and people were dragging us for calling him William. I didn't realize it was Willard. I knew it was Willard. I can't believe I called him William. It might have been a self-aware joke by me. Willard Smith slapped Christopher Rock. Okay. Is it Christopher? Are you sure? I hope it's not Christian. <laughs> it's Christopher! Great. Ooh, Imagine if his answer. name was Christian Rock. I know. That <laughs> would be really good. I'm sorry. I no mean, one, I've never heard that before. That's so that, funny. That good that would oh, be good. Shit. Five comedy points. Damn. Damn. The fact that he's called Chris Rock, that's yes. just his name, yeah. is pretty great. That's yeah. like a performer's name. Incredible. Yeah. Right. His dad, I think, was called Julius Rock. Yeah. Which really is a good name. Both of his brothers do stand-up. Tony yes. Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But Chris Rock's, is the best one. It's a great name. Rock's a great last name for a comedian, but, like, Chris Rock is the, the best Rock. combination. The Rock. Yeah. One of our funniest. He should have called his kid the... Anyway. Kid Rock. <laughs> Look, you know, there's a lot. Soft Rock. You could call yeah, your kid yeah. Yacht. Yacht. Yacht Rock. You could call your kid Yacht Rock. Okay, all right. Well, it's been a year. Uh, People were like, how could that happen? Yeah. No, (laughs) you saying that the task force is going to have to like, how do you create the scenarios? (laughs) Prague. It's my kid Prague. Yeah. Uh, But you're like, what are the the scenarios you run through with them of what they need to anticipate, right? Mm -hmm. When the whole point is, last year, I think the slap there are obviously a lot of factors that go into that moment playing out the way it does. But one of them is there were three months of the producers of that show and the Academy in the run up to the broadcast continually saying, we want to like bring back the spontaneity and crazy things happening. There was a little of that. And then of course there was also like, we're going to sit people at tables with stairs leading right up to the stage. Seating and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, I don't think that was in any way planned or orchestrated. No, of course not. But I think they consciously like nurtured an environment an intimate environment and tried to like be like and and follow your impulses like if a moment takes over you you know i don't i think that's the last thing they wanted to happen but now basically like if you're leading an oscar task force how do you define what are the spontaneous moments you want to have happen on the broadcast and which things you need to stop like nip in the bud here's the thing i think the oscar task force should be aimed at like just letting spontaneous things happen. Yes. Like letting problems happen. Yes. Like this is my point. Maybe even like manipulating them Absolutely. a little bit. Because Push them. what are the two biggest Oscar moments people talk about from the last decade? It's the slap and it's the moonlight yes. Lama Land mix. Yes. But then and in both of those scenarios, you just wish like with the moonlight thing. Yeah. You wish there'd been maybe just sort of because I know it was the end of the night. So yes. they really just had to like rush everyone on stage and be like, 
Okay, well, you say your speeches yeah. now because we got to wrap it up. But they should have just been like, all right, guys, 10 more minutes. Yes. Everybody settle down. Air it out. Yeah. You guys go sit down. Yeah. We got to give these guys their due. And with Will Smith, the weirdest thing was that it happened and then there were 20 unacknowledged minutes. Yes. They just kept doing the show. Right. Amy Schumer was apparently backstage being like, can I come out? And they were like, well, there's nowhere for you in the run of show, you know, and no one knew what to do. And also, Will Smith was just sitting there. And there's the ticking bomb of being like, he's going to win. He's going to (laughs) win. At some point, (laughs) this guy gets on on stage and then what is he? There was, I mean, we were at Marie's party at her old apartment. I was just at home. Yeah. I was covering the slap happens and everyone for like an hour is debating, was that real or not? Sure. And and like, you know, strong arm. And there's like, the arguments. tweets of like Denzel is talking to Will Smith right. right now. Like, you know, like all that stuff is going and on. And like the tension in the room was just building and building and building until the moment he gets on stage and starts talking and everyone realized like, oh, he's real and he's, it, it was real and he's having a nervous breakdown right, right now. Right, right, But like no one knew what to make of it until that moment. Yeah, I wasn't watching the Oscars. I wasn't at yeah. home at the time. I was on my way back from somewhere and then all of a sudden I started getting these messages from other people who aren't watching either, but have heard yes. what's going on and these clips and all that. I'm like, now I have to tune in for the first time in years yeah. to see if Will Smith wins after this. Sure. That was the reason I tuned in. I mean, like the Oscar task force should exist, but it should be led by Andy Cohen. Okay. And all the members of the task force should be uh, creative producers on different housewife shows. Right. And they should <laughs> right. be like, we're going to keep everything in line. And then they start going to audience members and whispering in their ear he like, said you suck. Yeah, Kristen Dunst said you farted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get on to Slumdog Millionaire. Best Picture winner, Slumdog Millionaire. Runaway hit. A film that almost went straight to video and then yeah. becomes a career-defining film for Danny Boyle that now he almost lives in the shadow of its success. Because also, a guy who did not feel like, well, he's obviously on an Oscar track. Next in line. Right. He was not someone where it's like, one of these days he's going to have his best picture breakthrough. One year earlier, he had finally released the movie he said was like his biggest challenge to make, Sunshine. It went, it didn't make a lot of money. Mm -mm. And his whole press tour for it was basically just like, I'm so tired. And then one year later, he just is like, best picture winner. His most successful film of the 10 years previous had been a zombie movie shot on a Game Boy camera. Right. You know, and like his beloved early films were like so angry, grungy, nihilistic. How do you feel about Danny Boyle? What's your Boyle relationship? Generally pro yes. Danny Boyle. I'm sort right. of hit on hit or miss on some of his recent stuff. I mean, it would be right. hard to be total hit. On yeah. yeah. I don't think Danny stuff. Boyle's hit on the recent <laughs> right. stuff. Yeah. Like, really? Which which was that movie where it had like a twist every five minutes? Trance. Trance. Yes. Trance. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. It'd be funny if you were about to say, which was that movie that had the, I don't know, the tech guy who creates Apple products? Like, <laughs> no, no, yeah. what, what's that movie where there's a world of which the Beatles never existed? One guy. No, it's, uh, yes, you're talking yeah. about trance. Trance. Yeah, trance. But I'll say about Slumdog Millionaire, it's my second favorite Danny Boyle film where someone dives into a toilet. You know, that's, in a way, it's the most damning thing you can say about yeah. this movie is it's not the best film in his filmography. With the toilet with, dive. With the, with the poop dive. Yeah. Yeah, um, he that's really. A fair point. I forgot how coded this kid is in, in poop. Yeah, it's it's really like yeah. swamp thing. It's <laughs> yeah, like no, full he... on top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. It's an exo suit, and it's because people are suddenly blocking the door. They put a, the, a door. They put a chair in front of the door right. to prank him. I mean, that's oh, okay, because he messed with the. Yeah, right, right, right. It is my favorite moment in the movie. I will say, it is the poop. 
the guy is outside the outhouse. He's like, I gotta go. To get I gotta in, go. And they cut to him inside. And he's saying, like, look, this is a slow one. No, nope, you know. nope. Okay, David, what's the phrase? It's the wording. He says, oh, it's a shy one. It's a shy one, <laughs> which I think is that funny. Is one of the funniest ways to describe a turd. Yeah. Like a, yeah, sort of a, a long, relaxing session. That yeah. You're in the oh, it's of. a shy one. And that's just in the subtitles, too. Yeah. What he actually sh- says is basically, um, I'm shy or I'm embarrassed or something like that. Oh, really? But I guess in context, like, that's the implication of it. So the subtitle is, yeah. it, like, giving you the implication of what he's saying. But no, but see, I think that's, I, I, I would relate more to the kids saying, I'm feeling shy or self-conscious. It's a shy one has such a different meaning behind it and is so funny. I mean, the other thing with this movie is like Simon Beaufort wrote the script in English entirely. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when, especially they started working with the kids, the woman who was credited as the co-director on this movie, who was the casting director. Lovely Dundon. Yes. She was like, you should do more of this film in Hindi, especially with the children. So she was like, translating the scripted dialogue in real time to the kids on set. But that's interesting that there's the disconnect. Yeah. It happens a lot throughout the film, but that's sort of with every subtitled film. Sure, yeah. But especially if if it's something you have to um, translate like very in the moment and yeah. you can't think of, like I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head because I'm not a translator. Like sure. what, what's the Hindi equivalent of it's a shy one, but specifically when you're referring to your poop. Right it, right. it would take me a bit to get there. Yeah. Okay, this movie comes out 2008. As you said, like a fucking hurricane out of the... Yeah, debuted at Telluride. It won the TIFF People's Choice Award. Yes. And, it, you know, comes out uh, basically Christmas time in uh, America. But I think that was its wide release. So, you know, yeah. uh, limited release mid-November. Uh, I saw it at the Angelica... I saw it at the Angelica as well. I remember seeing it opening night. I was so amped for this movie because it was a lot just of that hype feeling. out of the festivals and Danny Boyle's back and all. Well, that, if you're yeah. like a film nerd and you're not a professional film critic like you two esteemed gentlemen are, right? You're hearing like the festival buzz on these things for like two or three months, and you're like, when do I get to fucking see right, this thing? Right, right. My friends and I went to go see it. It was sold out. Sure. It was on like four out of five screens at the Angelica opening night. And we were like, what's the next showing that isn't sold out? And they were like, 10.30. Oh, yeah. And we were like, we're going to wait in the Angelica Cafe for two and a half hours. See Slumdog. I want to see this with the hottest crowd possible. Sure. And we sit there and I'm like, this thing is a fucking triumph. This is undeniable. Uh-huh. What a like emotionally overwhelming, like uh-huh. tour de force. Like Danny Boyle's like honed his style perfectly. And then I, as the season goes on and it becomes the sort of de facto front runner, and there's the inevitable backlash of like, is this thing corny and manipulative and sort of cliched and everything? Uh, I I was like, come on, you can't, don't be cynical about this. It's Slumdog. That movie's undeniable, right? The week of the Oscars, I was like, I should go see it a second time. And I see it a second time and immediately felt none of this works for me. Oh, no. I now completely, like all of the charm has disappeared for this movie now. I feel like I see all of the sort of strings. Mm. Had not seen it since then. My second time in theaters that year. Sure. Uh, watched it again. I, 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 like, none of this movie was working for me this time. Really? Yeah, I was surprised. I thought I would be more generous to it. But it was, like, one of the wildest first to second viewing shifts I've ever had. So now what's your relationship to this film? So, um, I liked it the first time I saw it. And I liked it this time when I saw it, earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. 
but I've hated it for years. Okay, so I'm with you. Yeah. I, this, that's fairly similar to me. Mm-hmm. I, sw- I didn't love it as much as you did on my first viewing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, yeah, I can see why this is so bad. Sure. You know, I thought it was, And then I soured on it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Probably like you're sort of describing as the sort of, well, you know, the as it became such a big deal, I was like, wait, uh, wait, wait. I, I didn't sign off on Best Picture here. I, yeah, you know, right. like, I don't know. I don't know. And then I remember that Oscar year, like it wins a lot of awards and you were sort of like, oh, it, got, it got a little boring. Like it mm-hmm. felt a little sort of, and my opinion of it had really soured. Mm-hmm. I rewatched it just now, but then I, now I've been watching the Boyle movies. Yeah, yeah. I rewatched it. The first hour I was like, this is fantastic. The, and then I remember the second yeah. hour loses me more. And I did kind of, you know, I sort of evened out on it, I, I but d- I, it came out positive. The the youngest it's a flawed film. The youngest group of the three actors, the little the little guys are so good. The little little slum ducks are so good. All three of those performances that it does kind of like the movie does shoot out of a cannon at the beginning. My other main takeaway is Dev Patel is pretty incredible in this. It is interesting to watch it now. Yes, knowing what a sort of like variety of performance he's going to give, he is excellent in it. Yeah. I feel like at the time I was dismissive of him because I loved the kid so much. Yeah. And his performance is more subdued. Yes. And natural. And I was kind of like, eh, is he just kind of being himself? Like, you know, the kids I was, are so charismatic. Right. right. Is right. he just sort of, yeah. And, but no, a blank and, do you like Dev Patel in general in this film? I do in, in general. Yes. In yeah. this film, um, emotionally what he's doing works. Yeah. Um, every time he opens his mouth, it's a little bit weird for me. Just because, and I'm sure we'll get into like Let's get into it. what this movie sounds like to me as someone from India. Uh, but I will agree that um, the first 40 minutes of this movie are just a firecracker with yeah. the, the youngest kids, with the whole thing in Hindi. It all, not it doesn't just sound authentic, but even like outside of that, it's so propulsive and it just keeps moving. And like every second scene is them running. Yeah. Running. Yeah. You know, the camera work is, I, I I love, like, the colors. I love, like, the sort of switches to the handheld camera and all that. I think the movie that. basically peaks at the paper planes train yes. sequence. Yeah. That's when you're like, this thing is really humming. And then it also just, I feel like a lot of, weirdly, like, a lot of Best Picture winners. The movie then, from that point on, starts to become pretty obsessed with punishing its characters. Like, making <laughs> them go through, like, biblical trials. It's a. This is why that British poster that calls it the feel-good movie of the year. Obviously, it's a film with a big happy ending. Yes. I get that it sends people out of the theater feeling good. Uh-huh. But it is a really dark, miserable movie yes. in a lot of ways. With a lot of, yes, like over-the-top Dickensian punishment. Yeah, like children, orphans being blinded and, you know... He's being electrocuted in the first five minutes of the movie, you know, by the sort of like ostensible kind of nice cop, like, you know, like a lot of this shit. I forgot that like him winning Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is immediately intercut with his brother being shot to death in a <laughs> bathtub full that. of money. I remember the bathtub I remembered how well. that sequence. Right, right, and even right. my first time watching that movie, I was like, this is maybe not totally working. Yeah. I forgot that they cross cut it so instantly. Like he has three seconds of celebrating that he's won. Before you cut to the brother. Yeah, it just, the, the entire adult Salim part of it doesn't seem to work for me just because I, I can't seem to trace how he goes from like 
I'm a gangster to oh I'm I'm gonna redeem myself and it's very shoot quick people. Yeah. Yes. I remembered more of him and he's actually barely in it. Yeah. Like yeah. he really is a minor it's also presence. It's the worst performance in the movie. He's not a terrific I, I and I remembered being like, oh, he's really dropping the ball. But I also yeah, I remembered it being a bigger chunk of it. Like I remember more Frida Pinto in this movie. Yeah. She's really not in it much. No. Yeah. I, I think the uh adult Salim, at least in my estimation, some of it has to do with the lines he's given mm -hmm. because again he speaks English but like the actor speaks English but yeah. he's Madhur Mittal yeah speaking it in a very stilted way as if these words aren't familiar to him and and a lot of the script seems to suffer from that except when it's Dave Patel because you know he speaks British English to begin with yeah Um, but with Madhur Mittal it, it these are not words that he would say so it sounds very like and it's it's not words that at least you know me as an Indian mm -hmm. would be used to hearing coming out of someone's mouth like it is our destiny, brother, and, sure. and stuff like that. I know it's you know meant to be this thing of like uh, are they speaking English? Are they speaking Hindi? Or we're gonna this is for Western audiences so they can just say whatever. Yeah, the lack of authenticity unfortunately sometimes impacts the way it's performed, and I think so emotionally some of those moments don't connect because I don't think the actors are necessarily connecting with them. No, he's no. He's got a good look. He's very, like, sort of the, the hair, the kind of, like, I don't know. He he looks kind of cool. Yeah. I forgot that he was in Million Dollar Arm. Oh, the, that same uh, actor? Yes. Okay. Same actor is is one of the two baseball prospects in that movie. Okay. I think that's the, the, the smaller role, but still. I even think, though, that, like, the, the middle age version of that character. Sure. The sort of 12-year-old. Right. Kind of, also know. doesn't work as, they, like, they, like, in the same way that in the final part they make his redemption shift happen right way way too quickly. Um in the midsection, I feel like I understand what they're going for is this is a desperate kid in desperate circumstances. He's doing what he needs to do to survive. But I think even in that middle section, he is played like a little bit like joyfully nihilistic. Like, he's getting some charge out of it. And it just feels like very quickly the kid becomes, like, addicted to being bad. <laughs> you know? Like, I just think that character is not particularly well written yeah. to begin with. On top of the dialogue maybe being a little dodgy. The first time you saw this movie, were you living in India? Or did you see it later? In Like, did you see it when it came out? So, um, the U.S. release was sometime in late 2008, Late right? 2008. Yeah. Right. yeah, I was still in India at the time. I ended up moving to New York for college in 2009. But when this came out in the U.S., there was already a lot of buzz around it uh, from, like, festivals and this and that. And a friend of mine who, you know, used to pay attention to all that told me, like, hey, this award season, there's a movie that takes place in India that seems to be, like, picking right. up a lot of steam. And I was really interested. And I didn't know whether or not it would be getting an Indian release. So I ended up like either downloading a pirated copy or buying a pirated DVD or sure. something like that mm -hmm. and watching it uh, around the time it came out here yeah. in the US. Sure, late 2008. Sure. And uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, being an impressionable, impressionable 16 or 17 year old at the time, um, a lot of the opinions and conversations that happened afterwards made me feel like, oh, this is exploitative and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, there is that element to it still. but. Um, I've never watched the movie and disliked it. Yeah. Interesting. Even though there's parts of it I dislike. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. 
I, I feel closer to disliking it this time, whereas wow. like my second time seeing it in theaters, I more just felt like Bloom is off the rose a little bit. It's lost some magic to me. But I was, I don't know, dislike isn't even the word. It's just like I was not uh, connecting with it. But it, it's, I mean, it's one of the weird things about like the lives that movies have that are outside of their own control, where I feel like so much of the souring on this movie is that there was this sort of like... Uh, it, it, in so many eyes, this film was viewed as like, oh, what a triumph of like the Academy becoming more international and more global. Sure. Here's by like awarding this British film. Exactly. <laughs> British film made by white right. people. Right. And then I think people were like, oh, I love Indian movies, like Slumdog Millionaire, where they do Jai Ho at the end. You well, know? you know. And it starts to turn with? into like <laughs> sure. a shorthand, you know? I mean, I just think about the amount of like trailers for bad American comedies in the 10 years after this where someone uses Slumdog as a joke title to refer to an Indian character. Yeah. It definitely happens in the Jason Bateman Spelling Bee movie. Yeah. I think it happens. What is the Jason Bateman Spelling Bee? Bad Words. Oh. His directorial debut. Mm, it happens one. in the Canadian Hayden Christensen comedy Little Italy. Okay. Yeah. Well... Look, with Emma Roberts, correct? Yes, yes. Is that not set in New York's Little Italy? I'm not sure. I haven't actually seen it. I've just seen scenes from it. I think it happens in 30 minutes or less. Like, it just became one of those really crappy shorthand jokes. Yeah. Not funny. No, like, never. Like, and I don't mean that what's in some, like, aggrieved once. way. It's just, like, a boring joke. Yes. Yeah, anyway, whatever. Oh, uh, it happens on uh, Oh, Hello, which is the um, yeah, John Mulaney yes. and but of course they yeah, are supposed to be ignorant yeah, right. fools. Oh no, I enjoyed right, it that time. Right, yeah. right, right. But I guess that yeah. I want to open the dossier Please. on this film. Yes. Um, quick question. Sorry to interrupt. You can interrupt has... me literally anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not sure. No, please feel free. Like best picture winners since it, like the yeah. artist has Slumdog Millionaire. Do you think it's been sort of? memory hold as in like a movie that people don't really talk or think about a little bit okay it don't do you do you not agree like i do think it's i mean the artist is a more extreme example where right. that almost feels like a collective hallucination right like not just that it won best picture but it won like a lot of critics awards yeah you know like it was sort of this like universally like yeah that's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. i remember that film like the first responses coming out of con and people being like I'm going to sound crazy, but this thing might win Best Picture. And people were like, how is a fucking French silent film <laughs> with sure. actors that Americans don't? And they were just like, I'm telling you this thing, like, hits people, it's down the middle, whatever. Magic of cinema, baby. Right. You know, you but know. whatever critic the that dog. was, was like... There was a dog! There was the dog! From what, Frasier! What, it, was it the same dog? It was. It was okay. the second what? dog. Oh, oh. The second right. Eddie. It wasn't... It, no, it so was a moose. So it was a career Oscar. It was Oscar. Augie or whatever? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was a career Oscar then. Okay. Yes. It was, well, that's, <laughs> right. That was the thing. That was the thing. It was, it was that dog's true grit. Everyone, um, had, worked, everyone had worked with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but that same critic was like, that having been said, this film is going to win zero critics awards. They were like, this movie is like too broad. Everyone's going to turn their nose up at it. And then it won, like, every critical word best picture. And now, as you said, I think feels like a collective hallucination. because The artist like, is the biggest one where you're like, what happened? That wasn't a crossover hit. It right. remained pretty niche. And critics don't seem to think back on it fondly. Well, and also he, the director, has Vicious, has not gone on to yes. make other masterpieces. No offense. Has had several, all the garbage basically, all the films. <laughs> um, yes. Whereas Danny Boyle may be, like, I mean, for Danny Boyle has continued to make sort of interesting and, you know, different movies. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe 
has has struggled a little bit under the shadow of a Best Picture win, but like he's you know he's a a well known director. I think this film has like very little standing in like critical, serious minded film communities. I do think just because it was such a big hit, it's the kind of movie that you hear people's mom saying like I I love Slumdog Millionaire. I do think people, it's so romantic. People forget that because you know it it was the runner up for Best Picture at um no sorry it was third place for Best Picture at the New York Film Critic. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Danny Boyle was the runner up for best director, I believe. Okay. And like, you know, uh it won best uh director at the Los Angeles Critics mm-hmm. and uh so on and so you know, like it was in the mix with yes. critics. These sort of other big critic movies that year were Rachel Getting Married right. and Wally. Yes. Uh, which like surprisingly won the LA Award. Right. You know, you know like it felt uh, like critics were trying to push Wally over the threshold. And it was championed by, you know, yeah. uh, by no, many no, critics. It was, it was certainly, like, well-received at the time. I think that has totally been memory-hauled. Mm-hmm. That, that is what, looking back, yeah. I was like, what, so what were the big critical movies of the year? And I was like, oh, this was one of them, right. right. I, that I had sort of forgotten. But what, I, what is your I think it's like on? an evergreen $5 bin at Walmart movie in a way that, like, keeps it in the collective consciousness, maybe. Uh, sure. you know? No, for me, it was a little different just because it, it comes up in a very specifically Indian context for me, but again, only from time to time. And it's like, oh, this was, it felt at the time like a watershed moment for right. Indian talent on a global stage. And yeah. of course, you know, the last year or so with the success of RRR, I keep thinking like I haven't seen something like this from something Indian or Indian adjacent in the West since Slumdog Millionaire. Yes. But outside of that, I don't think about it as a movie, as a piece of art, as much as I do uh, about everything a around specific it. cultural phenomenon. A weird yeah. cultural curio. Yeah. yeah. But like, right, not exactly an influential movie in a way. Although it's like, but then again, like it launched Dev Patel, who is Has a remained. fairly enduring yes. star. Yes. It launched Frida Pinto. Who had who a couple years. Is in movies. Right. Sometimes. <laughs> but then you look at both of them and it was like, look at these two huge like Indian stars to come out of this film. And it's like, Dev Patel was a British actor and Frida Pinto famously had like not gotten any work in India. She was yeah. basically an unknown. Yeah. And, but then, the, and then there's other smaller things like, um, you know, Anil Kapoor being in right. um, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. And in 24 as well. Right. Yes, he was yeah. in 24, yes. which he was a... weird and then, in my memory. And then he uh, acquired the rights to remake 24 in India and he right. played the Jack Bauer role. So, I mean, no offense to the guy, but a little long in the tooth. <laughs> I guess Kiefer was kind of in his sort of late 40s when 24 came along, early 40s. I'll say that was the other huge surprise for me rewatching this movie. I think that performance is incredible. Yes. Oh, I remember really at the at time thinking like this guy is so charismatic and transfixing, but I don't think I gave him enough credit for the actual like dramatic craft of that performance. Look, He's such a scumbag in the It's movie. so oh, good. Which is great. He per- so and he never well. drops it. No. You're never yeah. like, oh, you know what? He kind of came around at the end. You're like, no, fuck that guy. But he's so good at turning it off and on. Well, and, like, and the Regis thing, like at the peak of real uh, American sure. uh, who wants to be a millionaire. for me, but yeah. Sure. Uh, where it's like you're constantly playing the line of like, do you seem like you're about to deliver bad news right, or good right, news? Right. You want to throw people off. And, like, Anil Kapoor is doing that in his performance as a performance on the show. Mm -hmm. But he's also playing the subtext of he doesn't want this kid to win. And he's trying to psych this kid out. And it's it's fascinating to watch from the perspective of someone who grew up with Anil Kapoor's movies because he's, like, 
a quintessential nice guy hero. Wow. Right. Yeah. He's played, like a face. He's yeah. Like a, he played yeah, right. this character called Mr. India, who was like one of our big superheroes. <laughs> cool. He's great. I yeah, love I it. Yeah. And then seeing him get, play villain in this and then play a villain in Ghost Protocol. It was a bit strange, but like, you know, good for him getting getting temporary Hollywood recognition. Did you ever watch the show in India? Mm-hmm. Which is obviously it's not called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, yeah. right? But it, I, I forget what it's exactly. Kaun banega karodpati? But there's nine versions of it in India. Okay. Wow. Okay. In different languages. But doesn't Amitabh Babchan present it, or had he at some point presented it? Yeah. Ben, <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> well, we are talking. About it. Yeah, we are. I think this is adding <laughs> to the good, ambiance. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is what I wanted to ask. So you mentioned Regis Philbin. Right? Yes. Was he the host in the U.S.? He was he the was. original host yeah. in the U.S. Okay. And he was, I would say, fairly crucial to its success in the U.S. As Chris Heron was in the U.K. Okay. You need it. It's so much host yes. that show. Yes. Compared to most game shows, like you really need someone who's going to hold your attention. Mm-hmm. And Regis kind of played it similarly to this. I'm on your side, but you know, right. what are you doing? <laughs> right. You know, and that's sort of, of shaking his head. Are you sure that's I your mean, final you, answer? You B with this one? I mean, it could be A or C. No, I mean, maybe the, D. The thing here was it was a huge show in the UK. They bring it over as a summer replacement series. It's like, who's going to host it? I don't know. Who do we have already under contract It was at ABC? an ABC show, and he right. worked at ABC. Throw so it to old man Philbin. And then the show airs and becomes, like, humongous. Okay. And very quickly, it became, who wants to be a millionaire is on five nights a week. They wow. famously... It so it, popular. It revived ABC, which was a, uh, like, at the bottom of the ratings. Yeah. And so they were like, well, you know what they want? This every day. Every, every And they day. burned out the right. public's interest in it. Too quick. Like and it was a summer show that then became a what fall year was show. this? This was 98, 99? Okay. Uh, that sounds right. 99. The British okay. show launches in 97, maybe? Yeah. Or 98. Uh, yeah, it was... I can look it up. Um, but, but it, uh, it got it got so overblown so quickly. I think the first guy wins the show... The first person to win the million happens 99. within two or three months. Mm-hmm. And that was like the fever pitch of the thing. And then they do it, start doing it like five nights a week. And then it very quickly becomes like, we need to do celebrity episodes. We need to do special event episodes to keep it fresh. But Regis went from being this sort of like, obviously incredibly famous, but a little bit like taken for granted as like perennial, he'll always be on TV Mm -hmm. to being like the hottest man in broadcasting again. Like once again, went to being like one of the most famous men in America and everything was parodying who wants to be a millionaire. Okay. Yeah, so it had a huge moment, but, but it, like... It burned out fast. Yeah, and then by it got, 2001, yes. it's, it's daytime syndicated. It got moved to syndication. So it's it's never been, like, a big movie star who draws eyes to the American not, version. Not so no. much, because then it was okay. Meredith Vieira, who Terry was another Cruz, talk show. Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. Right. Like, but the bigger stars... Michael Strand, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. They start hosting it deeper into its syndicated run, where they're like, we need someone bigger to boost mm-hmm. the ratings. Okay. Yeah, because the uh, the Indian versions have always been hosted by enormous names, right? Like to the point that like these are people that you know non South Asians in the West have probably heard of. You have yeah. Amitabh Bachchan who hosted it originally, who's you know referenced pretty heavily in the movie. Uh, after him, the the Hindi version was hosted by Shah Rukh Khan. Oh wow! He's like one of the most. He's one of the most famous yeah. people in the world. Yes. Um, I mean, these are two of yeah the most famous yes. Indian actors of all time, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's like if Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt had hosted right. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Bigger, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, like, and I was going to say, they the, busy? <laughs> like, because you can kind of knock a lot of them out yeah. quickly. But the show was so popular that like it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 and right, right. The, interestingly, the Telugu version has been hosted by 
Chiranjeevi, who is the father of Ram Charan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And after him, N.T. Ram Rao Jr. Oh, so posted. both of their dads? Oh, no, no. no. And N.T. Ram Rao Jr. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, from RR. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Over there. Yeah. And yeah. is it still, it's still a, a, a much watched uh, thing. Yeah. The, uh, the non-Hindi ones are still, I'm not entirely sure if there's any Hindi version that's still on the air. But right. at the time, especially when it first began in 2001 with Amitabh, uh, it was enormous. It is obviously, it's a very durable format. It's right. very easy to understand. Yes. And it you can just revive at any time. You it's, don't have to tweak it. It's just funny that when, 15 questions, when this know, movie like, came out, it almost felt like it was nostalgic yeah. for American audiences to watch a movie about who wants to be a millionaire. And then I think they revived it again in oh, primetime yeah. with Regis after the film. Just because there was such a bounce. Yeah. I, I understand that because, um, so the music that plays in, you know, the movie, the Indian version, I believe that's from the American yes, and the British version. Of course, I've never heard it thing. on those versions. It's interesting. I've never, I don't think I've ever watched clips from any of those shows. But yeah. for me, this music conjures such a distinct feeling of time and place and intensity because it was so enormous in Indian households yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the the music was 50% of the success of that show. You you guys both know that Stephen Knight was one of the creators of Who Wants Director to Be Director of Locke. Yes. Yeah. And G- guy, loves his, guy Loves His Hot Seats. Yes. Yeah. Incredible. But it was just like the pitch on this show beyond just like the stakes of here's how big the prize is going to be. Here's how simple the format is. It's just like some guy's going to fucking perform the hell out of these questions, right? Like he's in a David Mamet play. <laughs> and then you're just going to have the most dramatic set and music of all it's time. It's incredibly dramatic. To the yeah. point that at the t- when it launched in Britain, there was that, you know, a lot of the reaction was like, okay, yeah, take it yourself. Easy. Like this is insane. Because the classic British, you know, game show energy is yeah. much more like you're having a cup of tea. Right. And it's like you're gonna win a dinner plate or something. It's but not like you're gonna win a million. No, pounds, but that's like what know? Jeopardy is like. It's like sophisticated right. but muted. And other American game shows are like insane, over the top bananas. And this one was like, no, no, this is a serious intellectual exercise. Um, Your life depends on it. And it really launches like the weakest link and Deal or No Deal. Yes. All of these shows that are so host dependent and like vaguely antagonistic. Yes. And they, they fiberglass have, sets and searching right. lights. The and, host kind yeah. of being like, look, I'm your friend here, but also you're in trouble, buddy. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the weird energy there. Yeah. Anyway. The banker told me your wife is thinking of leaving you. The whole banker thing in Dealer News. Banker's one of my favorite characters in all of fictional media. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. So, Slumdog Millionaire. Danny Boyle gets Simon Beaufoy's script. Mm-hmm. This is how this begins. And the only preface is, this movie's about who wants to be a millionaire. Danny Boyle is like, I hate that preface. Uh-huh. I hate being, I hate hearing that. I yes. don't want to make a movie about who wants to be a millionaire and is basically like, I don't want to read it. And this is what Danny Boyle said. He's like, they could have maybe told me like set in India, you sure. know, like, anything like else. you know, anything else. It's a love story. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, he eventually decides because Sam and boy for both wrote it. He's like, well, I, you know, I've heard of him. He wrote the full Monty. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll crack it open. And, uh, once he read a scene set in an outdoor toilet, he was like, "He was in. I'm in. I want to make this movie." The man, the man likes his poop. Uh, Sadanth, <laughs> you read Q and A. I did, and so you were based on that. Telling us obviously. it is barely, oh, barely anything God. like this. Now Q and A is an Indian novel, correct? Yes. Like it is not a British novel or anything. No, like it's that. written right. by Vikas Swaroop, who's an Indian author and diplomat. 
who was yeah. is had stints in South is that Africa, some and yeah, China, the US. Canada. It looks like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And like, I know the book was you know popular and won various prizes, but man, by the time it was done, I I just I threw it across my couch. <laughs> like I I think it is such an awful book. Like it has a couple of ideas that I yeah. really like that I wish were explored more in the book, but also explored more in the movie. But just it is such a disjointed non-narrative mm-hmm. with like three out of nowhere plot twists on the last three pages that Simon Beaufort, like he made it a story. Like it's right. not a story without yeah. the screenplay. Boyle obviously did not read the book. He read the script. Yeah. He's like, I maybe read the book later and he was like, my movie is not particularly inspired by the book. It is a pretty ingenious structure for dramatic yes, that's storytelling. Why I really love the first half. Because I yes. feel like the movie lets go of the structure in yes. the second half. I want to go all the way with like, tell me how every question is, relates to his life. I, I, I want to stick to that. As, yeah. as someone who's read the book in which that happens, let me tell you, it's a huge improvement that they don't do that. Really? Yeah. Oh, because it, it keeps going. It like, just, you know, it kills any sense of tension, any hmm. sense of momentum. But a part of that has to do with just the way the book is written. Yeah. Um. First of all, I can't tell if Vikas Swaroop is... A bad writer. <laughs> because because the thing is, the entire thing is written in first person mm-hmm. from uh, the, the perspective of the main character. Okay. And so I don't know if, because I haven't read anything else by Swaroop. And is it, is it starting with the interrogation as well? Uh, or is it yes. mostly in the moment? Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so the, the broad structure of like, yeah. the game show and the interrogation is the same, but it has almost nothing else in common. Gotcha. Um. So it's it's all written in first person, and um, so I can't tell if he's writing purely one hundred percent from the perspective of the character, or he's yeah. just a bad writer. Sure. Um, but also, what's confusing is it's all narrated in the present tense, even when it switches. Oh, in weird. Time. Right, right. That's irritating. And and like, if that was just between chapters, I would be fine with it. Sometimes mid-chapter, it kind of, it feels like you're reading the thoughts of Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is existing in all times. Yeah, and it's, God, where do I even begin with this book? It's a, it's also much darker and much more grim than anything in the movie. Interesting. Like, uh, the prologue with the interrogation. Yeah. He gets sexually assaulted by a cop. Jesus. The first question, he remembers because of something to do with sexual assault. Oh, jeez. The okay, third so, one, right. it's, because someone gets molested, and like that, I think that's like the first four or five questions. So you're saying this movie is far less grim and intense than yes. okay, okay, and, and this movie is yeah, has some grim stuff. Yeah, and I will say like there's a narrative reason for all of this, which is fine. Like it, you know, it's you know, I'm not one to say what should or shouldn't be depicted sure, in a book. Sure, but it no matter where this book ends up in time, if you can even tell. It just feels completely disconnected from everything else. Yeah. 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 And also there's no central love story. There's no, there's like one or two recurring characters. Um, Salim isn't his brother. He's just like a friend who appears in a couple of chapters. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I thought, whatever. That doesn't sound good. No. Mm -hmm. Boyle says, I like this quote from him. You read scripts, they're really good. Technically, they're excellent. They do everything they need to do, blah, blah. But they never glitter. Mm. They never really vibrate for you. This one did. So he loves this script. Yeah. Uh, he loves how Dickensian it is. Mm-hmm. And he is, like, you know... Patron- patronizingly yeah. or not, drawn to, like, 
you couldn't make a Dickensian movie about like life in modern Britain, maybe because sure. of like, you know, but like in India, it makes more sense. Now, I don't know how much Danny Boyle knows about what he's talking about in a way, but like he's drawn to like depicting the sort of like, you know, the wild swings between wealth and poverty, right? Yeah. You know, that like being on a game show could represent things like that, right? You know, like very, it is very Dickensian. Dickensian always. Dickens always has these, you know, people being suddenly elevated out of their circumstances and like what that means and all that. Like that is such an obsession for him. Yeah, I talked about it in the Millions episode too, but there's that bizarre, or I think it was on the trance, whatever. I've talked about both of these episodes because we've been recording them in a weird order. But there's this special feature on like the trance Blu-ray that's Danny Boyle doing a career retrospective and like speed rounding all his movies. And he talks a lot about Slumdog through the framework of, like, he felt intense, lingering guilt over the damage that the beach production did to that actual beach. Oh, no. Both short-term and long-term. And that it was, like, part of the challenge for him on this movie is, can I make a film in a culture where I am not disrupting that culture itself? Um, Right. There's still obviously you can you can debate the levels of cultural tourism in him making the film, but I think a lot of it was like this film had a very small crew, the way they worked with like children who were not professional actors. Uh, I mean, there's this very uh, during anecdote that they basically set up a college fund for all the young kids in the movie to make sure that they were set for life off of this rather than giving them like. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah, you know yeah. all this sort of stuff. But I think that was a big part of it for him, too, is like, can I go to a different place and not ruin the place by making the movie there? Well, almost as a self-challenge. It's interesting. He's, yeah. He's kind of self-aware about what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Because he says, like, if you think about it, that's not really a very good idea. White guy going and making a film in a place he's never been you know, uh, like, uh, I'm not a big fan of films that go and show white guys going around India, that kind of film. It's not my kind of film. I think culturally that kind of film has lost its place. We want people's stories from their own countries. So I think it's not a good idea to make it. But then I just at the time thought, oh, I love this place and I loved being there and I love the energy of the city. It felt like New York in the 80s, he said. Like, it's just, D- Danny Boyle is always doing this where yeah. in retrospect he's like, I don't know how I feel about that movie. A lot of flaws. Yeah. I don't know why I made it, but he's like, at the time, I was filled with energy and excitement. Uh, I think the movie, JJ thinks the movie he's talking about is the Darjeeling Limited. This is in JJ's research. Oh, interesting. Which is the year before. Yeah, no, I mean, it It. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the other big thing with this movie is uh, 20 Days Later is obviously the first film he shoots on video, but it's a very, very uh, primordial form of video, right? And the advancements in digital video have been humongous in the six years between these two movies. Millions and Sunshine are both on film in between. And he and Dodd Mantle are basically getting like, was this shot on red camera? I think it was. Um, But there's this anecdote I always think about with this film that's really interesting where they like, this was at the point in time where the red camera was being presented to all these filmmakers. It was a silicon imaging camera. Okay. It was no red. Yeah. But All these companies that had tried camera. to make these revolutionary high-def digital cameras and tried to lure filmmakers like Soderbergh and Boyle in to use them. They show him this camera and they show him the image capacity, capabilities and everything. And then he went like, is there any reason it needs to be this shape? And they were like, what were you saying? What, what do you mean? 
And he's like, well, like a camera is a certain size and a certain shape because it has to contain like the room for film canisters. And you've built this like a camera. But if you're basically telling me like it's a lens connected to a sensor and then like a battery, none of this needs to be in this like block, right? Mm. And they were like, I guess technically you're right. And he and Dodd Mantle basically unscrewed the camera and just figured out a way to put most of the guts of the camera in a backpack. So Dodd Mantle was basically just holding a lens connected to wires. And they had like amazing flexibility in terms of being able to literally just run around with this thing. And I thought that's like such a smart thing to go like, oh, we're holding on to the idea of the shape and weight of a camera based on what historically has been a camera. If you're telling me we're shooting on video, then we should rethink all of that. What are the things we could never do with a film camera? And I feel like you feel that in just even his freedom of being able to like go into these spaces without yeah. traditional lighting setups, without a camera apparent, you know, being seen by all the sort of citizens on the street. Like, I think they were able to be a lot stealthier in how they shot this film. And if I'm not mistaken, this was also the, sorry to bring it back to the Oscars again, the first digitally shot film yeah first digitally shot film to win best cinematography that makes, I, would, yeah. I imagine yeah. that's true yes because yeah. it was still you know and, pretty new yeah. and and looking back oh it is a very digital film yes. it so it belongs to that era where people had just discovered digital color timing it is I think maybe outside of the first Magic Mike the yellowest movie I've ever seen <laughs> it's very yellow orange yeah. it makes yeah. your teeth hurt sometimes yeah. I do kind of love how vibrant it is yes um, but it is, yeah, because, right, like, I'm trying to think of what the next, uh, well, I guess Avatar, Avatar wins, wins the next, next year, year so, yeah. right. Real quick, speaking of the Oscars, I did some, uh, a bit of research. I think this is the first movie to win Best Picture without a significant white character. Uh, that has to be true, right? What even comes I close? Don't, I don't know. Yeah, there's what? The Lost Emperor, but that has... Um, uh, it's it's uh, not Sam Watterson who is because he's in the kill. It does have a uh, white character. Yes, uh, it's um, Martin Sheen, right? Uh, who is it? No, it's uh, it's not Sean Hurt. Uh, <laughs> God, I looked this up just a few Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. Yes, What's now? I have to remember because uh, Sam Watterson is in the Killing Fields. Yes. What is Martin Sheen in? Martin Sheen is in one of those sort of like Tony eighties. Yes. Film set in a foreign country, but I can't remember which. Anyway. Um, yes, yeah, so, but The Last Emperor is, of course, largely non-white. That yeah, is true. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah. Technical. yeah. No, you're, no, no Peter O'Toole no. is like the third, you know, build guy in it. There's no doubt. But look, semi-tellingly, it falls into a similar category with that film and also with Parasite, which is rare best picture winners with zero acting nominations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It yeah, does although that does feel, happen. It does happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it happens with Return of the King. It's not like it's without exception. Right. But it does feel you like... You know what else happened with Gigi? Yes. That's one reason Gigi won nine, went nine for nine. Because it didn't have to lose any acting. <laughs> Which is so weird that it didn't... Um, anyway, I don't understand how you like that movie and don't nominate Leslie Caron. Exactly. Who I think is the most undeniable aspect of a film I don't like very I, much. It's very strange. It's because she yeah. didn't sing, is my guess. Sure. Her singing was dubbed. And I think it must have been some weird judgment about that. But her performance is great. Here's the other weird thing about Gigi, and then yeah. I'll shut up about it. I just did Have Gigi you ever seen Gigi? Scott's no. podcast, Scott Ackerman's podcast. David just saw Gigi for the first time. A film that is demented. It is a bizarre movie. Yes. Uh, Maurice Chevalier, yes. obviously, is the, you know, the old guy. Thank heaven for yeah. these the girls. Yeah. That's the song he sings in the he movie. He was uh, nominated to a neighborhood watchdog list after that performance. He was given an honorary Oscar the that year. Okay. So they essentially were like, we're not nominating you for Gigi, but here's an Oscar for your whole thing. Okay. Your whole Maurice yeah. Chevalier yeah. 
rich French guy yes. thing. 30 years from now, you'll be a you'll candle. You'll be Lumiere. Right. right. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think, I'm sorry, I was just trying to find what this Martin Sheen. Oh, it's Gandhi. Gandhi, Gandhi, there Gandhi. You go. Gandhi, yes. obviously, best picture winner. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that has more white characters. That's kind yeah. of evil English yeah. villains. And I just think very often like when you have these films that are have a largely international or exclusively international cast, none of the cast members end up breaking through to nominations. Dev Patel came close. And Dev Patel, there was the weirdness of whether he was lead or supporting. That, that was I think his fucked problem. him. Mm-hmm. He was nominated right. for a Screen Actors Guild Award. I am, to this day, not sure if he's a lead actor I think he's film. Lead. He's not in a lot of the film. The kids are so crucial to the first half. Yeah, but it's sort of, I mean, it's sort of Hopkins' Silence of the Lambs thing where it's yeah, like the movie is so much from throughout. his perspective. Yes. yes. So I would err on this, but also because he was not a well-known actor, yeah. they will often just sort of be like, well, I'll put him in supporting. Yeah. He did get the BAFTA nomination. Yes. They put him in lead? I believe so. Yeah. Let's uh find out and yeah. uh and uh they i believe he got a sag nomination did he not sag was supporting though yeah yeah um, it's it's also just wild that his one oscar nomination he does get is like the same situation as this where it's like well multiple people played the part different ages so he's nominated and supporting for what is the lead character of the film wait he wasn't nominated for lead in lion he was nominated supporting really for lion, it's which the, i think is capital bullshit it's yeah. the same thing though because there was a kid and that's yeah. how they got away with yes it. Wow. Uh, it's and just I'll, wild that it worked on that movie and he couldn't break but through But it was partly like them being like, sorry, we snubbed you for something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it was a little <laughs> well, bit of He's that. very good in Lion and it was like, he's it good did feel like a mea culpa. A little bit. Yeah. Remember Lion? I no. love Lion. Lion's good. Love Lion. That feels like a movie that's been totally memory hold. Yeah. Because well, that, yes. again, that director has not made another hit. No. What did he do? Do didn't he do a Jesus movie with Joaquin Phoenix? Oh yes, yes, he did the Joaquin Rooney did Mar that, Jesus movie. Did that ever come out? Not really. Like, like a little bit. It snuck <laughs> out. It was a shy one. It was a shy yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, it was a shy one. All right. Boyle likes the script. Mm-hmm. He also keeps citing a nonfiction book called Maximum City: Bombay Lost and Found. Okay. Written by someone called Suketu Meta. I'm sorry if I'm uh, pronouncing that wrong which apparently he brought up so much in the press tour that he was told to stop bringing it up because they were afraid <laughs> that the person who wrote that book would be like, do, do I, am I owed some money? Like, are you adapting my book all of a sudden? Am I wrong in thinking that after Slumdog, he straight out optioned that book to maybe develop that into a film? I don't know. Okay. But I'm going to look up possible. this thing. Yeah. Um, he also cites Titanic as a huge reference point. He loves the narrative structure of Titanic. Sure. And he says he's borrowing from it. The Cutting sort of back like, and forth between the timelines. You know, the sure. person reflecting, all that stuff. Uh, even though, of course, his main character is like 18 years old, not 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, of course... Danny Boyle buys film rights to Maximum City, Bombay, sense. Lost and Found, June 2009. I wonder if he bought the rights just so he wouldn't get sued for <laughs> taking so much Possibly. from the book retroactively. He talks about... And I don't know if uh, you have any perspective on this, that apparently the game show is more difficult, he says, in India than it is in America or Britain. Like, he says, like, the questions are really hard, really fast on that show. Right, because in this movie, uh, they make the comment that, like, oh, uh, professors and scientists don't get past 16,000. Right. And in America, the first, like... Eight questions are always kind of like pretty easy. Fluff. Yeah, yeah, I think it's in India. The first few are generally easy to get you to that first tier. Yeah. 
Uh, but then after that, they grow increasingly difficult. And eventually, a few people won the big jackpot. But um, yeah, I, I, I have no point of comparison because sure. I've never watched right. you didn't the watch anymore. Sure. Yeah. Um, film was uh, funded by Pathé and Warner Independent, as you said, mm-hmm. Griff, uh, threw in $5 million. Um, and uh, And then obviously, later... Fox comes in and, right. and and takes some of that. Because Warner's like, this isn't big enough to be a major studio release and we no longer have a specialty division. We'll have a fire sale. Does anyone want this movie? We see zero value in <laughs> Uh So, Gail Stevens casts the film in Britain, but mm-hmm. most of the film is Indian actors, yes. not British-born actors. So, Loveline Tandon, uh, who had worked on Monsoon Wedding and Vanity Fair from Mira Nair. Yeah. That's the connection, apparently, that... Yeah. She gets uh, brought in, uh, and she said she's she loved first the script. assistant director of Monsoon Wedding as well. Possibly, I, I was looking uh, at her IMDb last night. Yeah, uh, and she is this sort of like super integral member of the team, and that's why she gets this co-director credit that was so possibly inadvertently controversial. Yeah, sure. Because then people watch the movie, I think, and are like, "Well, wait a second, this movie has two directors." Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is the weird thing about giving someone a co-director credit. Well, same thing happened with uh, uh, City of God. City of God. Had yeah. this, yes. Because co-director is probably not the word no. to use because it sounds like, it just sounds like the movie has two directors. I was reading interviews with him. I mean, I'm sure they're in the dossier as well, but basically he was like, we needed someone to function as an intermediary with the kids. And because she had done the casting and had found the kids. And then she's writing the dialogue. And then the dialogue mm-hmm. has she's to be translating translated. It. So he was like, she was sort of there every day in a nebulous position. And then at some point, I think in post-production, he goes to her and said, what if we call you the co-director? Yeah, I But think, the title basically came about much later. I think somebody formally. on the production said it was a title that came up over a Coke. Right. Yes, Christian yeah. Colson, the producer. Right. Yeah. It's just like, I want to give you some better credit mm-hmm. for what you did. And then, so there were people uh, going to bat for her saying that, you know, she should also be nominated she alongside him. Her. But then, yeah. right, right. I believe she came out and said, like, this is a bit embarrassing. I yes, don't, she was I like, don't, yeah. Right, do not. I don't want to be considered that way. Like, now, that is not... Yeah. What is fascinating to me, she has not a single film credit after this film. In know. any position. Wow. That is weird. Isn't it? She's the one who convinced, you know, Boyle that all the child acting should be in Hindi, not in English. A masterstroke. Uh, right. Yeah. But then apparently Boyle says, like, he called Warners and Pathé and was like, so we think, like, like kind of half the movie is not going to be in English, actually. And the way what he said is the silence when I said that on the other end of the phone. <laughs> you can tell they had thought he's gone insane. Like, like clearly, like his impression is like they're like, oh God, you've gotten to the set. Yeah. And now you're gonna produce something. Because I guess in 2008, that was just a much more aggressive concept. Now mm-hmm. I feel like it would be almost like assumed, like, well, yeah, sure. Right. The film's set in another country. Like, it'll have subtitled dialogue. We the, can handle that. The year that after now. this is Inglorious Bastards, which sure. I think quietly is kind of revolutionary on that front of being like, every character is speaking the actual language they would speak realistically in that situation. Right. And you have a film that is in French and German and English almost in equal parts and, and became a big hit. But I think until that point, it felt like box office poisoning people. And, well, the thing about Slumdog not being entirely in Hindi is like, I don't, I don't think that in and of itself is a bad decision just because, you know, even if you look at the story, it makes sense for them to be speaking English beyond a certain point, Uh you know, when they're interacting with tourists and, you know, at the end on the game show. 
that's all fine. I think the bigger problem is that it is written. The English is written from a very British and Western perspective. Uh-huh. The way they're talking. Does the way not they're track, talking sure. and the way the movie is cast. Because you have a lot more authenticity for the younger kids, but for the middle kids, you you cast these, you know, Anglophone kids who uh have gone to like posh British schools mm-hmm. who um don't sound like they'd be speaking the way a slum kid learning English would speak. Sure. You know, like these are kids that I knew. I come from a relatively privileged background. I uh Tane Chedda, who plays uh the middle uh Jamal, like I grew up doing theater with him. Oh, and, really? Uh, wow. Ashutosh Lobo, he's a friend of a friend. Okay. And as soon as you start casting people from my social circle, for sure, for slum kids, you've made a bit of a mistake because we're not going to be able to, you know, at that age especially bring that kind of authenticity and that's not what was asked of them to begin with. Right. And, and I do think the middle kids are the least successful mm-hmm. parts of the movie. And the movie sort of spends the least time with them. Yeah. Yeah. And also their faces are browned up, which is its own thing. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. No, okay. they're, they're definitely lighter in complexion than yeah. what's presented in the film. Okay. Uh, there were, I think there was... Right. There was... The middle kids were where they were... They had the biggest problems. What and age are the middle kids supposed to be? 13, which 13. is what they were sort of anxious about. They were yeah. like... You know, there's sexual elements to this part of the storyline, especially with yeah. the female character. Like, what do we do there? How much do we sort of emphasize that? Yeah. Uh, apparently, the... Uh, sorry, what's his name? Tanay. Um, Tanay Chedda. Was the, he recommended the guy they cast as Salim, so they must have known each other. Okay. Okay. All right. uh, like, he said, he, we went to school together. Like, mm-hmm. meet him. They had no time. So that's when they cast... Like, they cast those kids gotcha. at the last minute. The only thing I know about the casting of this movie is that Danny Boyle's... Dev Patel is cast off of Skins, Well, Danny Boyle's right. daughter is a yes. huge Skins fan. He gets this script. He's developing it. His daughter reads it. She's like, oh, you should cast Dev Patel from Skins. And he was like, I'm not casting some guy you have a crush on from <laughs> some T4 show. Yes. Right, and she talks about... Or he talked about, like, how for, like, two or three months she kept on being like... Have you seen Dev Patel yet? And he's like, no, I can't find the fucking lead of my movie. And you keep on recommending Dev Patel. And then one day he actually watched Skins with her and was like, oh, this guy is incredible. I should have listened to my daughter. He's good on Skins. He's really good on Skins. Yes. It's one of those things where you're just like, you rarely see teen performances that are that unselfconscious. He's kind of like just the goofy friend on the show. He's very like... Yeah. It's very different than this performance, which I think is another reason that he was resistant to casting him because this character is so much more internalized. Uh, but he's he's incredibly good. That guy was just like always good at acting. Uh, the way Boyle puts it is that he had a very clear opinion on how things should be as mm. well, which impressed him. Patel did. Yeah, like yeah. he was coming in being like, well, no, I think, you know, like he wasn't just sort of like, I'm a, I'm a teenager, tell he me what to do. He seems like a very serious-minded guy in a good way. Um, yeah. Right. Dev didn't want Jamal to turn into a smiler. He didn't want to earn people's love for him in an easy, cheesy way. Dev's got a cracking smile, Hey, Danny Boyle says. Mm-hmm. Could have been an easy option, but he wanted to play him simply, with great dignity. And Boyle is just like, that's when I was just like, this is a star. This kid, like, understands things more than I do. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'll do whatever he asks. I mean, I think- but he is pretty much the only British actor in the film playing an Indian yeah. character, right? Like, yeah. he's the only British-born actor, I think. That's right, yeah. yeah. 
I, I think the incredible calculation on his part in his performance is that he plays the entire thing being incredibly uncomfortable on camera. He seems <laughs> uncomfortable. Right. And it feels like it sells the idea that this broadcast becomes like a national phenomenon that everyone's right. tuned into. Like, who is this kid? Because it does sure. feel like that kind of weird thing that happens once in a while on television where you're like, what's going on here? This is lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. He never warms up, you know? Riz Ahmed auditioned to play Salim. Oh, I didn't know that. And, well, that would be a much better movie. Uh apparently gave a great audition but i don't know whatever didn't you know interesting got in his face apparently like ripped open his shirt you know went real okay frida pinto indian model had never appeared in a film before mm -hmm. uh and boyle just cast her like you know right away he talks about that like that she's one of the few people he just sort of cast like the minute she walked into the room yeah she's very beautiful can she act though? I have no idea. I've never... I've seen her in a couple of other things and I'm not really sure. It became one of those... It felt... I felt a little bad for her. Yeah. Because she almost became a bit of a butt of jokes of sort of like, you know... I mean, there was that movie that got delayed. Fuck, what was it? Night of Cops. Is that the it one? Was it? it might have been Night of Cops where you're like, yeah. that movie is, was shot so this long was, ago. This Frida was, Pinto is in it. That was Lex <laughs> G's joke. That was pretty yes. damn it. it was, and like... Yes. I guess I, I guess I've seen. I mean, remember she was in the Woody Allen movie. Yep, that was the first thing she did after. Right, yeah. she has that Planet of the Apes, Immortals, and then her sort of two big, uh, uh, the Winterbottom, uh, Trisha, which is the the Tess adaptation, right? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. And then she does the Julian Schnabel. Uh, Miral movie. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was another one that kind of got delayed. I right, like. but those were like two like serious-minded directors who cast her as the leads of her film of their films, and it was like let's really test her dramatic chops. And both of them felt kind of uh, inconclusive. I would say. I remember she's in the Andy Circus Mowgli movie. Yes, she's is she okay. one of the human? Yes, don't remember much about that. Me neither. And then there's the when she popped up in Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy. She's in that. I yeah. was as yeah. the you know the, because um, JD Vance married an Indian woman. Uh huh. As uh, as JD Vance's wife, JD Vance now senator from Ohio. Do you know Good. About that? Yeah, have you heard about that guy? Great. Um, and I remember I her hear his popping opinions up. Keep getting better and better. That's what I heard. <laughs> He's one of these guys who just sort of keeps getting wiser and more thoughtful. I remember her popping up and yeah. being like, "Oh shit, Frida Pinto," and like, I don't think. She's bad in that movie at all. Okay. Like it's, it was not yeah. one of those things where you're like gritting your teeth. Mm -hmm. But she's playing a supportive partner. Uh, sure. She doesn't have much to do. Yeah. What's what's interesting coming out of Slumdog Millionaire is that yeah, it led to uh an increased presence of Indian talent in the West. But in India, unless the actors in Slumdog were already popular, yeah. it did practically nothing for them. Right. Right. Like, no one really had a career in India after she that. She talked about, like, I still couldn't get hired yeah. for Indian films. Yeah. It's odd. I mean, it is like, there was four or five years there where even if people weren't sure if she was a good actor, it did feel like she was everywhere. Yeah, and it was she, like she was the spokesperson for different brands. She was she constantly was, in press. And she was everywhere. As we know, Dave Patel was everywhere. The two um, of them were dating for six mm -hmm. years, which everyone loved. Anil Kapoor started showing up and stuff. And I think the thing that makes me so mad is that, yes, Irfan Khan started getting roles in Hollywood movies. But like but the worst, most horribly thankless. wasted. Right. Because he's one of, was, I, yeah. He passed away a couple of years ago. Which is incredibly sad. One of the greatest screen actors maybe ever. 
and Hollywood would give him like guy in helicopter in well, Jurassic like, World. I mean, he plays basically the Jurassic same part in Jurassic, Jurassic World, and Amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man yeah. He's like rich he's guy who's maybe man. evil. Right. Yeah. And he like in Amazing Spider-Man, he dies off camera in a limo and in Jurassic World, <laughs> it's in a helicopter. Like it's like the same non-arc. Yeah. The best Hollywood role he ever got was Life of Pi and that is not even a plum role. It's no. just that mm-hmm. he's so captivating in even his limited scenes there. And you're yes. just like, my God, this guy is so obviously. I mean, that's how it always feels in shit like The Last Samurai mm-hmm. or whatever, where you're like, hey, why don't we tap some of these guys from, they've got a whole movie industry over there. Let's yeah. bring a couple of them in. You know, this this guy has like six lines, but we'll get a big star because this is a Tom Cruise movie. Right. And you're just like, this guy's blowing me off the screen. Who the fuck is and this you're like, guy? well, yeah, because yeah, he's a fucking superstar. Right. Like, right. it's just not, you don't know who he is. Like, and I mean, Rufan Khan's obviously like also just right. He's like one of the great actors of his generation, right? Mm-hmm. Not just star. I could kind not of just do anything. Yeah, yeah. Right. Not just like you know, uh, charming leading man thing. Like he was a chameleon, not chameleon, but like he could do yeah, anything. He could do a lot, and yeah. like very few actors, um, you know, are able to touch you in such a deep way. That's such amazing. Like nice. I'm yeah. exactly that's what my mom always said yeah. about him. And like I'm getting emotional just thinking about him. Like I. Haven't been able to watch any of his movies since he passed. It it would probably be a bit too much. It was one of those things too where he was surprisingly young. Obviously, you knew like, well, he shouldn't, but he was only like fifty three. Like, yeah. yeah, I think I would have assumed, oh, well, he must be in his sixties or something. He's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was very. And it happened like weeks yeah, apart was... from Chadwick Boseman. Yes, right. Yeah, it was, was twenty twenty. Um, that time. Yeah. Well, nothing else was going on. Oh, you're right. No, no, no. Thank you for putting that in perspective. Right. He wanted Shah Rukh Khan. Is that yeah. how? He, you know, that that was Boyle's first. He wanted the guy who actually presented, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the game show, and he was like, "I'm busy." He was nice about it, but mm-hmm. he was like, "I'm busy." Uh, Anil I'm Kap- not hosting your fake. Who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> Anil Kapoor's son apparently loved okay. train spotting and was mm-hmm. more interested in Western films or whatever. So maybe that was part of the push mm-hmm. that helped get him. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, Irfan Khan Boyle basically just says like, it's not a big part. He didn't really want to do it. He'd done that part in a mighty heart. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sort of a similar like police inspector role. And Boyle basically just like begged him and like said like, I just have to have you in this movie. You're the best. Especially and he the, thinks he kind of saves the movie. I, I mean, the fact that the movie basically opens with, him like he really does an incredible job of just setting the stakes of the thing you know you need like you need that intimidation provided by a real masterclass but, actor rather than just some guy who's scary and tough you also you know? need him to be at the end like now you're not telling you're not lying right and you're like yeah he's he knows i just get that he knows that now and he's also part of my favorite like small little moment in the movie that is both funny and it tells you so much about the character where um, I think Dave Patel makes fun of uh, the other cop in the room. I don't remember yeah. exactly what he says. but so that cop, He's a like, hefty fella. Yeah, More yeah. of a comic so, character. So uh-huh. they uh, start a fight. I think, I think uh, Dave Patel's character, Jamal, he attacks him. And like I think maybe other cops get involved. But like Irfan Khan barely reacts sure. because he's like, all right, this is not my problem. And he's sure. just like, hey, hero, like, like as if to say, like, come on, just just cool it. Yeah. He barely moves. And it's so funny and because it shuts that's everyone up. Exactly what would happen in real life where this guy's like, all right, these people are gonna like fight. I this is this is my desk, this is my space. I don't need to do anything. Here's a problem I had with this film upon this rewatch. Mm. 
And I, it was not something that struck me the two previous times I saw this in theaters, even when I had cooled on it the second time, but it really stuck out to me here. I feel like this film is like, has a slider on Dev Patel's, specifically the character at that age, his intelligence and <laughs> how intelligent they want him to be or not mm-hmm. to add the, the tension to the scene. And I feel like there's obviously a difference between the whole premise of this film, which is like, here's an uneducated person, right? The basic general knowledge that would win you a trivia competition, this guy would not have gotten from a school. So it is defying logic that he is succeeding so wildly. But I also just think in some of his answers, in like the interrogation scenes, the bit almost seems to be, oh, he's like entirely glib. Mm-hmm. He is almost unaware. Right. When the character is presented as being pretty savvy in all of the flashbacks. There has to be this weird thing of like, he's like, no, you don't understand. I only know the answers to questions that completely relate to my life. Which I get, and I get him being like, I don't But have- sometimes it makes him seem almost alien like or right. something you know it's been odd that, right yeah right can't answer simple questions right because it's right, the the gambit of this film is he knows all these answers because he happens to have experienced the exact right series of things to plant these in his head mm-hmm. but then the movie wants to have it the other way by saying like and he knows nothing else other than these 16 <laughs> answers yeah. he cannot and- answer his name you know i i don't remember if this was from the book but the fact that he doesn't know that gandhi is on indian that, money I, but 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 he knows who Gandhi is. Right. And he's on he's on not just the thousand rupee notes, he's on all of India's money. That's the thing. I yeah. just I kind of like call if you pointed a gun at me and right. was like, who's on X Indian money? That's your money, first guess. I'd probably guess Gandhi yeah. somewhat ignorantly. Just right. being like, uh, it's, he might be. It's fair enough. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And it's like I understand him saying, like, well, I had such a clear burned in memory sure. with an American hundred dollar bill that I'll never forget that. But like anything that wasn't a, an impactful moment in his life he has completely forgotten. Like, this character almost feels like he's, like, Sammy from Memento, where it's like, he's <laughs> right. got the tattoos of 16 things he's experienced. <laughs> sure. I, I, I will say, I do like that when the cricket question comes up. So mm-hmm. while I was watching, I was like, oh, is he going to remember this because the game was on in the background? Right. I'm glad he didn't. I'm yeah. glad that the scene that takes place with Latika in the kitchen and there is a game in the background... Uh, that's just something he tunes out. Yeah. So right. I'm glad there was one answer where, along the that's way. That's the one where he basically guesses it, right? He does the 55. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and, and the right. Three Musketeers payoff is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Three Musketeers You front load that, you just feel like, of course, that's going to be the question, and then they flip which one he has to answer. Right. Yeah. He gets bonked on the head. He gets bonked on the head with a book. That's going to leave a lasting impression. <laughs> But also remove information. Yes, that's the problem. Mm, You'll only true. remember Two Musketeers. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't, if you were like name the three musketeers, yeah, Aramis, Porthos, I Oliver think I Platt, would. Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> I know it because of this movie, but yeah. I think it's uh, chocolate nougat. <laughs> okay, Ben, caramel. It's a good chocolate bar. It is. It is a good chocolate bar. I'm just not sure I could name them all, but if you gave me those four names, you know, like. One of the answers you could pluck out the pig yeah. Okay, not him. D'Artagnan, I'm like, that's the fourth guy. I do like that the movie captures that in the early questions where there would always be that cheeky thing where for like the first three or four, two of the answers are comically bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Initially, that's what they do. Yeah. And it's it's that's why the show was well designed because it got the um, contestant to loosen up. Yes. Because the show is so intense. Yeah. But they could be like, all right, all right. So, you know... 
you know, the United States of what? Pizza? <laughs> you know, like, uh, whatever. Um, they shot on location. Mm-hmm. He used Indian crews, which I think is partly, like you say, informed by his the beach. Yeah. He was like, I don't want to bring be an my intruder. own crew. Yeah. Like, so they, and obviously, like, India has such a robust film yes. industry. Like, it's not that hard. But apparently it was unusual for them to shoot in the slums, which they did. Like, that was frowned upon by the... They were like, you don't want to go in there. And he was like, no, I do. Come on. It's got to be authentic or whatever. Like, that was the thing that was different, I guess, about his approach. Yes. Um, I don't know. In Bollywood, like, are they mostly shooting on stages? Like, is location shooting less common? That can't be true. No, I've seen plenty of, of Bollywood movies that are, like, gorgeous. Yeah, there's plenty of location shooting that does happen. I mean, there's, you know, stage work too, of course. Yeah. But, um, no, there's location shooting to the point that the norm in uh, Bollywood for dialogue was ADR. Every movie would be entirely ADR. Right. Because you couldn't capture all that sound out in the real world. Right. Even though you'd be shooting in the real world. Am I incredibly wrong yes. in thinking? I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, th- that film shoots are much longer on average in India as well. Yeah. That it's a more sort of, I don't know if relaxed is the right word, but there's just like the, the sort of almost Kubrick approach to like, you take the time you need to get it right rather than crunching yourself into an arbitrary yeah. schedule, right? Yeah, because for the most part, um, you you don't have to hit a release date that's decided before the movie. Right. Right. That's like three years in advance. This must must come out Christmas, blah. Yeah. Yeah, Right. I just like, I imagine him coming to Mumbai with a crew that's a lot more run and gun Mm -hmm. on a slightly more strapped budget must have been also very odd. Probably. Shot at the Taj Mahal without receiving permission. Uh Uh-huh. Nice. Uh, and they had, they didn't, they, because they didn't want to show the Indian government that the scene was about kids running scams mm-hmm. sure. at the Taj Mahal. I guess because they were afraid the Indian government would be like, well, we don't want people to think that's what goes on here. Yeah. Probably would have, yeah. Right. Uh, so instead, they just kind of rushed in and sort of messed around. And then they were almost caught and pretended to be like a documentary crew. They were very afraid, essentially, that the footage would be impounded and then yeah. the movie would be doomed. Mm-hmm. Like, that was their uh, gamble there. The torture sequence, however, gained police approval with one small note. The the, the, the torture like, of him, yeah, the superstructure. Like the, you yeah. know, linking him up to yeah. cables and electrifying him and all that. And uh, the note was um, just, no one above the rank of inspector could be involved in the torture. Okay. They were like, yeah, no, that's fine. But just, it has to be like a, whatever, more yeah. low-level guys. Um, and it's the right height as far as like where you're hanging them from the ceiling. That that all looks good. Yeah, they like apparently showed them around and they were like, here's like yeah. a police cell and here's an interrogation room. How many years? Like, yeah. yeah. No, oh, that's good. Looking that's great. Not. You guys really got the details right. As, yeah. as much as there are things that are inauthentic in the movie, that was an image that was very familiar from like, you know, Indian movies as well. Yeah. Yeah. What is what strikes you as the most inauthentic stuff in the film? There's a lot of stuff. And, you know, individually, nothing is too bad apart from, you know, the spoken dialogue. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, just starting with, like, the title, Slumdog Millionaire, the mi- million is not how a number would how numbers would be counted in India. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does the title of the game show translate to in English? Kaun Banega Karodpati. Who wants to be a... Uh, who will be a Karodpati? So, so the way it works is... So, you know, you have, you know, 10, 100, 
a thousand, ten thousand. Yeah. Over here, you have a hundred thousand, but in India, you have one lakh. So that's one comma two zeros and then three zeros. Sure. Then you have ten lakhs, and then you have one crore, which is, I think it's ten million, but it's written as one comma two zeros You're comma. You're correct that it's ten million. Two right? zeros yeah. and then right. yeah. Uh huh. Right. So which is why. Uh, 10 or 20 it's 20 million in the movie yeah it's the death 2 month. crore yeah so it would be 2 crore uh, so that but you know that's a thing where like fine it's for a western audience sure. to translate it sure and then there's these like small little things like you know the kind of handcuffs that they use the ones that like snap on which sure. you, which you are used in America you'll see in every Hollywood movie a, a classic handcuff yeah those aren't the kind of handcuffs that are used in India but that's like for the understanding of a western audience sure, sure. interesting uh, because in India at the time it was the derby handcuffs where you would have to like screw something in Oh, really? oh, that's like the yeah. old, the old fashioned hand. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. They were trying yeah, to get yeah. Jack the Ripper in those, but he's he, he staying out of their ground. It takes you too long to screw it in. I yeah. mean, it seems, yeah. yeah. The, 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 look, the design yeah. of the, you know, modern handcuff is is undeniable. Could you imagine if Jack the Ripper had existed in the time of true crime podcast? They would have nailed that guy so hard. Oh, they would be all, all over the his listeners ass. would have his ripping ass. It. When I was a kid, this is hilarious to think about now, or whatever, sort of frightening to think about now when i was like five i dressed up as a policeman for halloween a copper and i was given a pair of metal handcuffs mm. and guess what happened five seconds into my like you know kindergarten halloween party handcuffed your friend handcuffed my friend where's the key and i was like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and then a huge pro- metal handcuffs yeah not like now no, like you get like some the plastic, plastic ones thing. that are yeah, easier right. to break yeah. uh Sadant, do you feel like uh <laughs> that was a bad choice on david's mother's part it was. no do you do you feel like I, i'm just interested the first time saying, i got to pick my costume i was spider hey was definitely good right. call which i think might be the next year you, you saying that you feel like you recognize some of those changes being made as things to make sure the film is understandable to a Western audience, mm-hmm. especially since it moves so quickly. Do you feel like most of the inaccuracies, and obviously, it, you know, you have to project intent onto this. Yeah. Do more of them read to you as that kind of thing rather than like a complete negligence as to... I, I would say so. Look, yeah. I, again, like intent can be hard to discern, but ultimately this was, I would say it's not really made for an Indian audience. No. It was, you know, good for them that it did relatively well in India. It did, it, okay. It came out in January. Yeah. Um, of 2009. Uh, it was like huge premiere and everything, but um, it's, I would say it's sometimes difficult to watch because, you know, I, I've written down actually a couple of lines of dialogue that are just like very very british that mm-hmm. you know we wouldn't say like oh your accomplice nip out for a piss or like the cricket is on where well, we would just say the cricket is on. like cricket sure. we're gonna watch cricket or the match is on the cricket is a very british thing but like all those individually like are forgivable but i think what affects me when i'm watching it is like you if you sort of hermetically seal yourself and just watch it for what it is without any broader context it's perfectly enjoyable but also as an indian viewer based on you know what i've seen throughout cinema with you know uh, american and british productions set in india or with indian characters and also things that i've experienced in my own life you can't really separate watching this movie from i guess the experience of the movie watching you or what you might think of how other people might feel watching the movie, Westerners, how are they uh-huh. going to perceive this? How is this going to 
you know, further, you know, make their opinions of India maybe more negative well, or right. whatever it is. I, I think that's yeah. so much of the trickiness of this movie's legacy now is mm-hmm. like, because it was so wildly successful and mm-hmm. beloved, you have 15 years of a lot of people who are like, I understand what India's like. I saw Slumdog Millionaire. Mm-hmm. And they just take everything in the film as gospel is like, for a film that, you know, is presenting itself as being like gritty. You know, they're like, well, I'm not seeing some like fantastical Hollywood version of this. This was like a serious independent film that won Best Picture. And it's very much a a fairly fantastical view of. I don't know about that, really. Oh, really? I I, I think it is like the parts of Mumbai that it depicts. Yeah. I don't think there's anything horribly unrealistic or made up about it because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, one of the reasons Mumbai lends itself to, you know, Dickensian stories is because you have... Some of the richest people in the country yes, live there. Yes. Poverty and wealth right. living side by side but completely walled off from each other. Like mm-hmm. um, some of the, you know, biggest slums in the world uh, alongside some of the most opulent high-rises. And, you know, there are red light districts, there are other things. And like it, nothing that I was watching, like from the perspective of, the space, the environment, mm-hmm. that never really bothered me. I think it's more that the movie doesn't seem interested in anyone's relationship to the city or the space around them other than this is just a plot device. Sure. And and I think that's where, that's one thing the book does better. Again, I think it's an awful book, <laughs> but um, it does have much more of a sense of what these people's identity is as it relates to the city. Sure. Um, like, you know, in, in the movie, you know, the the riots, uh, I think they're meant to be the riots of 93. They, they just sort of like happen in the background and whatever. And like the, the book, I don't think really covers, you know, specific ground on that. But it does do one very interesting thing. The main character's name is not Jamal. It's Ram Muhammad Thomas. He has a Hindu first name. Uh, a Muslim middle name and a Christian last name. And how he identifies or how he refers to himself depends on who he's talking to, depends on which part of the city he's in. And it's not like a major overarching part of the book, mm-hmm. but it it does goes to show it does go to show that there's more of an understanding of the religious dynamics at play, the social dynamics at play. And fine, for whatever reason, you know, they chose to simplify it and just have him be a Muslim character. Um, Although that's not discussed much in the film exactly, at all. Exactly. Uh, Other easy than, to pick up on, to right. be honest. Like, like, I'm aware of what the Bombay riots were. Like I, but, like, yeah. the movie is not really giving you much context exactly. for what's Other going than, on. Other than the fact that their His, names are yeah. Salim and Jamal. Right. And uh, with the last name Malik, which are Muslim names. It doesn't really come up other than, um, you know, that they're attacked by a Hindu mob, which is why they see uh, a kid dressed as Ram. Right. Um which is such a strange phantasmagorical image. Like, yes. It is incredibly yeah. effective when you, yeah. like, be- just because of what's going on. And I almost like that the movie doesn't really explain it. Yeah. Like, just like oh, they just opened a door and saw this, like, during all of this. Yeah, like, that's not something that would happen. That's not a complaint. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, right. I don't it's know supposed why to be chaotic. there would yeah. be a kid dressed as Ram in the middle of this riot. Right. There's usually not a lot of, like, cosplay involved in political riots, I feel like. Yeah. Um, the, Although, the, the you mother know, tell that di- to the QAnon shaman. The, the mother, di- yes. The mother dying, and then the way he kind of blends that image with, like, the fire over her face as the flashback mm-hmm. sort of, like, is seen again and again in the movie is also kind of indelible. 
sad. Yeah. So Dickensian. I think that's why I think some Western audiences were also like, is this movie kind of full of shit? Like you're telling me like little orphan boys are getting kidnapped and trained and like, you know know what I mean? Like they maybe struggled to like dig into the reality of it. Interestingly, that part is the only thing they actually brought over from the book other than the structure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about the kids getting blinded and all that. I mean, incredibly rough. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is the Danny Boyle thing. Yeah. There are never, like, ed, the edges don't get sanded off of his movies even no. when they are bouncier and happier. They also have this kind of, like, very raw, you know, this is like an R-rated movie. This is not, like... No, it's it's the thing that makes it feel so unlikely that it's this... It's like a box office sensation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is that it, it, it really dips into the darkness. Have yeah. you ever gotten chillied in the pants? No, uh, and the chili I, willy. The, they do the, nail his ass. I, I keep trying to decipher what they're actually saying because I love the subtitle of mm-hmm. chilies chili on willy. his willy, but, but they're they, all right. yelling so much that I can't like I've slowed it down and tried to understand, tried, yeah. but I have no idea what they're saying. Uh it is it is a charming moment though. Yeah. Um the little kids are just so cute. The moment when he dances for her yeah. is so sweet. That kid is so magnetic. He is. Yeah. He's all grown up now, I imagine. This movie is 15, 15 years, years old. old. Yeah. Um, also, we, we did bring up recently the whole college fun thing, which reminds me, uh, Azruddin Ismail, who plays the youngest Salim, yes. um, ended up moving back to a slum a few years ago. Things just did not end up panning out for him. One of the things with the fund mm-hmm. was like it would be paid out to them at the age of 18 right. as long as they continued their education. Yes. But for like a slum kid, that's a very difficult thing to do. Sure. To, you know, continue studying when you have to like provide for a family. Yeah. And like him and uh, the girl, the one who played the youngest Latika, they were given like apartments sure. to live in. But then the upkeep of those apartments is so expensive that they yeah. had to like sell them. Or at least, or at least he did. The one kid. That's yeah. rough. Yeah. No, I. I mean, it's like uh, you can make these sort of uh, gestures, but they don't often pay off unless you are actually remaining engaged. Yeah. For a decade plus, you know. There was also just the sort of weird thing of like at the Oscars, all the kids were there. Yeah. And they're all like on stage at the end of the night, and you're like. Okay, you know, like it felt a little weird. Right, they were sort of being toted around because you're just like, who are these kids? Like, what's yeah, that? you know, there was, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's, I, I cute, think, but, you know, it's yeah. often the thing gets talked about with child actors in general. But like, you take a very young child and you sort of whip them up into the whole like award season fervor, and you're throwing them into like a ton of cocktail parties. And making them talk to like adult strangers every day for months on end. And then at some point you tell them like, well, now back to your normal life. And it's like, I think that's very disorienting if you're a small child. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't send them back to your normal life and you're like, and now you just act in more movies, that's also disruptive. Yeah, there was this one um, famous incident where, uh, again, the youngest, Salim, um, like, he was too tired to give an interview to a journalist. I think this happened in India. Uh-huh. And, like, his father his like slapped, slapped him or something yeah. like Jesus. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I don't know. I've had... Kid this, actors. It's a, yeah. it's a tough conversation no matter what or where. Like, you're always kind of like, should this be allowed? Like, yeah. in any circumstance. It does feel like it's just been taken as a given for a very long time. And I've only recently, in the last year or two, heard more people sort of saying, like, is this ethical in any level? 
Yeah, and like I have mixed feelings of it as a like a child actor myself. Yeah, that like it's something you know, you know, artistic training and blah blah blah. But then there's also the argument that like at the end of the day, this is child labor. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and you know, if someone says child actors should be banned entirely, like my knee jerk reaction is like, no, what the what the hell are you talking about? But sure. Then, but then if you think about it for a second in the context of what you're demanding of these kids. Yeah, and it's like maybe that's not the worst idea. <laughs> No, it's just, it's such a, a, a psychologically complicated thing. I think acting as an adult does weird shit to your brain, mm -hmm. let alone if your brain is still, like, very much forming, and then you throw all the weird, I don't know, the social elements on top of it. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Is there anything else specific in the movie that you want to talk about? Uh, he doesn't really, he talks about this in the notes, like, that he doesn't really distinguish between the periods and any the time periods and sure he didn't want to like throw a filter on or have like a whooshing sound or whatever yeah. you know like do anything kind of you know like uh now we're going to you know five years ago yeah you know he's like he's i wanted to be fluid i wanted the memories to kind of just be uh as memories really are yeah um which like it is like that um he showed the movie to mia very early because of yeah. course he uses her song in the film. It it is so funny. And she wrote another song for the film sure. that she was Oscar nominated for with Aaron Rockman, right? Osaya. That she was nominated for Jaiho and yes. yeah. Osaya and Jaiho won. I think Osaya is the better song. You don't like Jaiho? I I'm okay, but like I think it's fine. It's a rousing uh, anthem. Uh, yeah, you know it's fun. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, it's not Aaron Rahman's best work. Um, yes I think it's so fascinating that Paper Planes comes out in 06 or 07 uh, maybe earlier than that let's see well, yeah 06 maybe 06 oh no 08 really yeah February 2008 okay so that year it just like it obviously the song comes out it makes whatever impact and then like five or six months later it's in the Pineapple Express trailer. It explodes, right? It's like one of those few trailers that like made a song, but it had already been in circulation for I a bit. Know that. The trailer like explodes it. It is not in that movie. Oh, okay. But like that trailer makes it like the number one song in America. Mm -hmm. And then this is the movie it's actually in. It is actually in it. Yeah. Um, but I think people, a lot of people still think of it as the Pineapple Express song. Um, is it not in it at all? It's not in it at all. She basically watched the movie and said, you need a scene where he, you explain how he got onto the show. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And Bo was like, oh, said that? Yeah. And Bo was like, oh, we shot that scene. I'll put it back in. Like, yeah. No. So he was like, it was uh, a good note from her. Good call. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but she was obsessed with A.R. Harkman and that's why she wanted to work on the movie. Gotcha. She was basically like, I idolize him. Great, great choice to get Ramon to do the music because he's one of the greatest composers in the world. And um, I'm glad that the West was sort of exposed to him through this movie, even though if you made a list of his best compositions, I don't think anything from Slumdog would be in like the top 100. <laughs> sure. Even though I like the music. Sure. Movie, no, but though. right. You're saying like for him, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, you know he, he helped out. He yeah. did a little stuff for you. But, but also so wild is no this for Indian viewers to see Rahman and other uh, Indian names and faces on stage at the Oscars because that's yeah. not something that happens very often. And then seeing... Rahman and the lyricist Gulzar, who is a legend, and he's like 90-something at this point, you know, winning an Oscar for best song. Uh, it was, it was, 
you know, huge that these big names were getting recognized by the West, but it was also huge that lesser known people were getting recognized mm. too. Like, how many sound mixers can you name off the top of your head? I can name one, and his name is Russell Pukati because he won an Oscar for this. Oh, and wow. then he just became like a huge celebrity in yeah. India overnight, pretty much. See, that's so that's cool. It's yeah. so interesting because I feel like it's like India has an you know incredibly busy film industry that is gets lots and lots of attention within the country. It's not yeah. a niche thing. And this movie, you said, you know, this movie did do well in India, but it wasn't like the biggest film of the year in India no, by no, any no. means. But I do feel like there is that thing with the Oscars where that does give you some sort of weird celebrity in your home country if you win an Oscar for some reason. A lot of it is also Western validation. Right. Yeah. There's a sort of two-edged thing to it. But like that they'll, especially if you're, you know, if you win Best Foreign Film, maybe for... Yeah. Uh, you know, a smaller country, you know, not like mm -hmm. France or whatever, the, yeah. you know, Japan, the big one, like that, 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 that you're suddenly like elevated to like this, like sort of, you know, massive artistic star. That's it, so interesting that a sound editor would be like, yeah. sound mixer or sound editor? Sorry. Mixer. Sound mixer. It's, it's also yes. just interesting to me that like, as films more and more slip away from being like the center of American culture, right? If I can name what used to be seen as sort of like the apex that. of the popular arts, you know, being a movie star and things getting adapted into a movie, that was, like, the biggest. That's the top of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's definitely sliding here. And then also, I think, even just in terms of industries, uh, overseas, uh, you know, like, the, the domestic film industry has become less and less important. Uh, as films become less and less important in America, but also, like, other countries are starting to outgross us, their films are actually crossing over here more and more. During the parasite season, there was that uh, Bong Joon Ho quote where they were asking him how much he cared about Oscars, and he was like, "It's a local show. <laughs> it would be nice, but like, I don't care that much about winning the American Film Awards." Kevin right? O'Connell, but I couldn't remember his name. Okay. Sound mixer, because he was the guy who got nominated for twenty-one Oscars before oh, okay. he won once. He would wow. get nominated every year and never yeah. win. And it was one of those things where, like, well, they're never going to bring that up on the show because he's a sound mixer. Then he finally won for Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, right. And I remember when he won, I was like, he finally, oh. finally got an Oscar. Skip guy. leaves a, a mixer or an editor. He He's an editor, okay. right? Yeah, yeah editor. that's what I thought. I was going to throw him on that. I thought I'd seem stupid. But oh, I yeah, yeah, so stupid of you. The, the only, only dumb thing I've said this the episode. The only Oscar nomination this movie did not win was Best Sound Editing. It won Sound Mixing. Okay. Because it missed on two Oscars, but obviously it was nominated, double nominated in song. Did it lose sound editing to Dark Knight? It lost sound editing to the Dark Knight. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, though? It, it is interesting that, like, even with, like, Bong putting that out from the get-go, you did feel when that movie won all those awards that it was like, oh, shit, this is huge. This is huge for South Korea. It was the last good thing that happened in the world. It really, it, was. It really Everything God. was downhill from what It was so nice. Yeah. David and I were texting throughout the whole thing, and I'm like, I'm not giving myself credit here, but I was like, I think it's going to win. I think it's going to, like, sweep. And David was like, I don't know, and if it, if it does, it's going to win one of, but it's not going to win everything. And we were just texting throughout the night of, like, oh, shit, he's winning all of it. And it just suddenly felt you were like, maybe good shit can happen. Yeah, and that was... A little sense of optimism. That was not only the last time I watched the Oscars. I woke up at 5 a.m. because I was in India. I woke yeah. up early in the morning to watch the Oscars. And um, the times when it's been, you know... I mean, since then, I've been in the U.S., yeah. I think. Um, and I just I haven't bothered just because I don't think anything can top Parasite winning Best Picture. 
Well, so I, good. I know a certain movie star and a certain right hand that would disagree with you. All right. Oh, good. You said good things. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I missed that part of this. So, yeah. The film got good reviews. Mm-hmm. It won the Toronto People's Choice Award mm-hmm. and was the winner of the Academy Award for Best Picture. Yeah. Can I spell like, uh, did it not win Gold Globe Best Picture? Is that what you were saying? Did not win the Golden Globe? I don't know. I didn't say that. No, okay. Then I, I know. Director was James Camp. Was that? No, that was the following. following. Sorry. Sorry. No, it won all four Golden Globes it was nominated for. Okay. Picture, director, screenplay, and song. uh, Score. The big, that was, it was partly that the big competition that year was Benjamin Button. Yeah. Which was a movie that did well and got a bunch of Oscar nominations, but was immediately regarded as a right. disappointment, I feel. I like. think from the trailer... Because the hype was so massive. People were like, oh, is he about to make his Forrest Gump? Right. Is this going to fucking run the table? And, and then it was... It yeah. lost to the Indian Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, they're, they're similar films in a lot of ways in sort of their Wasn't spirit. was there recently a direct Indian remake of there Forrest was. Gump starring Amir Khan? It was pretty good. Is it good? Yeah. Should I watch it? I love him. So, like, How does it, it compare to American Forrest Gump? It's not as polished and sure. like the VFX are so strange because they, they, when Amir Khan's younger, they de-age him and they slim him down a bit. Okay. But like the, the entire background like warps around him as well. <laughs> uh-huh. But it's, like, it's, it's like, pretty good. It's like blurring. It's pretty good. Also, wait, I forgot to mention this. Q&A is actually a lot more like the Indian Forest Gump. Uh, because that like, makes sense. He's he goes to like war against Pakistan. Right, right. And, oh, it's, it's this like man touching all these all cultural. These yeah, yeah, that's okay. interesting. Okay, right. Whereas this doesn't really do that. No. Yeah. Apart from the Bombay riots, I don't think there's like a lot of like mm-hmm. real world moments mm-hmm. that he's interacting with. Right. Very few. No, I, I can't seem to recall anything like. Like there's just some random cricket match on that's like it's not like the, the most right famous set. cricket no, match no, of the right. year or whatever. And it's not like he like suddenly that. has to sub in and play the match. <laughs> um, do, you, do you care about cricket? Yeah, I do. I do love you cricket. watch a lot of cricket here? Like, is it easy to watch here? It's it's not easy to watch. Um, but also, I I tune in like when I'm here, I tune in only during the World Cup once every four years. It's the year after the FIFA World Cup, so it's no, this I know, coming year. I know, mm. I know. Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, I wasn't <laughs> saying. I just, I, I know. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I've gotten completely disconnected from cricket since I came back here. From what? England. Oh, you don't know that I grew up in England. No, he actually doesn't know. David, I didn't know that. Okay, so this, this is was a bit they used to do for that years and years. It's very that. defensive because we would always pretend we were hearing this for the first time, and now when someone actually has that reaction, David no tenses up, he clenches up. Oh, that's why you were doing the I know, I know thing. Okay, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. I, no, it's fine. I grew up in England and I loved cricket as a, as a sport to watch. Mm. One of the best sports to watch. Depends on the format, though. Yes, I think I would agree with you on that. I don't know what you think the best format is, but... Uh, I'm torn. I'm so torn between ODI and 2020. Because I'm a 2020 Just, guy because that was yeah. kind of what was hot when was yeah, I, I was living in England. I'll say this much. Generally, 2020... World Cup ODI. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I also, yeah, I love a leisurely, you're checking in with it, you're eating lunch, it's on. A test match? I love test matches, or at least I used to. I don't know. But I don't, I, I, there's no way to keep in touch with it anymore. For, all right, yeah, for even, uh, I think like uh, Sling TV might have a package or something right. like that. It would, but I would have to like devote a lot of time. Yeah, to, I'll. Right. I'm going to worry about it when the do World Cup Do you care about around. domestic cricket at all or no? Not really. Not? What do you mean? Domestic cricket? Like, like, do you, like, Indian, I assume Indian Oh, has I thought you were, okay. yeah. Okay. In, like, in Britain, you would call it domestic cricket. Um, 
in India, the domestic scene isn't really big, but we have the IPL, right. the Indian Premier League, which is basically uh, club stuff about? with uh, cricketers from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Right, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I haven't paid attention to it in like 20 okay. years, but it's still really huge. I'm just, I'm just wondering. Yeah. I haven't thought about cricket in a while. I love uh, cricket. Next World Cup is in India, so right. I might find myself going back at some point. Because sure. I flew back for the 2011 final in Mumbai. And? And we won. Yeah. But I mean, like, was it cool? Oh, it was so cool. Yeah. I feel like moments of my life. Ben has been holding the mic right under his mouth for two minutes, waiting to share some cricket opinion. What are your opinions on cricket? I think that the stick. Yeah. That's what we call it. It's pretty fucking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In fact, at any point, you could have anywhere between eight and ten sticks on the field. Nice. Yeah. Because I, I don't. No, no, no. The bales. The, the bales, too. So you'd have up to like 14. Wait, so what am I forgetting? The two bats, the wickets, the you bales. Can have, you can have up to four bats because each batsman could also have a runner. That's, that's, yeah. uh, that would, sure, that would be an unusual, mm-hmm. but right. I suppose you're right. Ben, ben, as a man of fashion, I think from the perspective of someone who's not as fashionable as you, but also doesn't give a shit about sports at all. Yep. I think cricket uniforms are far and away the best uniforms in professional sports. Are we talking about the white ones or the colored ones? Uh, either way, okay. I just think the basic cut mm-hmm. of the thing. That's fair. You like the kind of sweater thing. I like the sweater thing. I like the high socks. It was a very proud moment for me when I was 11 years old and I started playing cricket and I was good at it. And I remember my teacher pointing at me and saying, the American's good at it. Well, <laughs> it's a way to shame them that I took to bowling really well for some reason. And I just remember that. We've well, talked a lot about how you were forced to play basketball because you were tall. And yeah, and I, I, I lack hand-eye coordination for it or something. Like, I've just never been good at basketball. And also, yeah. it's so physical. And I wasn't, I just never had the killer instinct to, like, bash into people. You sure. Know, like, to, to really get physical. Can I call out one scene that we didn't talk about? Yeah, Go for sorry. It. Let's talk about uh, but that I think is like sort of the most interesting scene. The, in the cricket scene. The cricket scene. Uh, no, the scene in the bathroom with Anil Kapoor. Uh, the scene in the bathroom with Anil Kapoor. In the middle of the taping. Yeah. Right. Where he he's writes. in the wrong answer. Yes. Right, 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 right. Where he's messing with him. That scene and the following scene where he has to figure out, is this guy psyching me out, getting in my yeah. head, or is he actually trying to throw the game? And the tension of like, is this guy trying to rig this for the sake of the show? Because mm-hmm. this is his job. And if this kid keeps on winning, it's going to be a big news story versus what the scene ends up being about, which is like what you're talking about is kind of underexplored in the movie, which is like the class tension of everyone, yeah. you know, in, in major cities like that, where people are right next to each other. But yet these divides are so large where you understand suddenly like. Con, the interrogation, all of that stuff is just about like, this seems too good to be true. There has to be some scam running here. Yeah, but what I realized while watching the movie this time is that even though that's what the cops are meant to figure out, I don't think at any point anyone on the show, especially the host, really believes that he cheated. No, I don't think so. No. They're with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, By and large. But Anil Kapoor is revealing in that scene, like, I I don't want you to cross this line. (laughs) There has to be a division between you and I. You cannot suddenly jump up to my level of fame. And he keeps referring to him as Chaiwala. Yeah. You know, the person who serves tea. Right. Which, you know, at the time was meant to be like a put down. Yeah. Although now Chaiwala has a completely different connotation. Uh, because even though it means the same thing, it is part of the creation myth of Narendra Modi, our prime minister, 
because he was famously a you know a kid who sold tea on railway platforms really? and look at him now he's a totally not fascist prime minister <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry I shouldn't successful market oh you can laugh it's fine uh that's interesting i didn't realize that that's that's his like folksy yeah. origin story so that, that mythologized plays very different interesting now. right because like yeah the whole immediately this kid sits down he says he serves tea and you can tell the you know poor Kapoor character is like great no. This yeah. is my bit with this right. kid. We like found every a dog time that stands on its hind legs. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Love Anil Kapoor's just audacious enunciation from Taiwala to like millionaire. It's incredible. He's yeah. an incredibly transfixing actor. Yes. And that's the thing with him in Ghost Protocol. That's sort of the weirdest part of the movie. Yeah. Where you're just like, everything in this movie has been so high energy. And now suddenly we're okay, we're doing more of a dialogue focus. And then yeah. like he's like, you know, flirting with uh, Paula Patton. Yeah. And she hits him and he's like, oh, I like it. And you're like, whoa, this is so like, but it, but it works for the like, yeah, sort of, yeah. Anyway, I, I like him a lot. As you said, there was the whole crazy thing with uh, it almost going to DVD mm -hmm. essentially. And then the festival starts sniffing around and yeah. Warner Brothers is like, oh, do we actually own something that's worth something like? And then so when Frog Searchlight is like, we want to pick it up. Warner's is like, well, we're not going to give it away for free. Like there was like a little bit of. Uh, sure. Um, uh, but basically Fox Searchlight was, uh, Peter Rice was in charge there and he was the guy who just like, was well known at the time for, hmm, I could see the Oscars sticking this. Like, you know, like just sort of knowing what to go for. And still to date, their highest grossing film ever. The film did get a huge backlash in India from some corners, at least. I'm talking Bob Chan sort of condemned it, right? There was, and then kind of backed off. Like so maybe like there was sort of weird confusion that. about that because some comment on a blog of his yeah, was highlighted blog. yeah like, where, was he writing his blog he knows. was someone else had written something that was then i don't know highlighted or pinned i i really have no idea but but yeah so there's there's a lot of you know mixed feelings about this movie where it's like you know it's you know exploitative or it's poverty born and you know i'm not going to say anyone who says that is wrong because you know i i kind of feel that way myself sometimes about mm -hmm. it when whenever something like this makes it into the spotlight, obviously there's going to be like more conversation about it. It's not, you know, it's not the only film to deal with, you know, themes and locations like this. There are Indian movies that have done it as well, but maybe done it in a more nuanced way. Sure. Um, I know uh, one big point of contention was the phrase "slumdog," which is, I, I don't want to say it's a slur, but it it it's sort kind of, of a like, nasty word. Yeah, it's sort of like an insulting way to refer to someone. Even though, like, it wasn't, like, you know, commonly used in India or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I believe Danny Boyle said something. He wanted it to be, like, the uh, apartmento between slum and underdog, which right. definitely does not come across. It no. should be slumderdog, <laughs> <Yes>. obviously. <laughs> yeah. That would have killed. Yeah. That's the an extra hundred million. 200. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 But... Too important. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, again, the the issues that people have with it have at this point been, like, you know, talk to death. So sure. there's nothing that I can really add and to it. And it's also, it's, look, if you're going to win best picture and be a huge, you're going yeah. to paint a different size target on your back. Like no matter what movie you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's going to be much more discourse about you. There's going to be much more sort of like critical. Well, thoughts, and look, you know? when that discourse happens now, it feels like it's happening in a fairly in small. The marketplace of ideas yes. and, you know, the best ideas win. Right? But it's like, yes, yeah. no, absolutely. Okay, right. it, it's, it's fair and balanced. Uh, no, it just now these arguments seem to feel more like they're happening in an echo chamber. Whereas, like with a movie like this, 
you're like, oh, they're actually like, there are people who are going to see this at malls and there are Oscar voters mm-hmm. and there sure. are critics. And there's like a national, international, ongoing discourse about this film that mm-hmm. isn't just 20 accounts on Letterboxd what? or whatever. What? I just think it's... Letterboxd is the greatest marketplace. I was looking at the run of Best Picture winners over the last 15 years, starting with this, and like for so long, either the film that was the highest grossing at the time of the Oscar ceremony would win, or what then wins overtakes what was previously the highest grossing film. It was a big deal. It was usually like Mm -hmm. either it's a final uh, sort of anointment at the end of a successful run, or that is the kingmaker itself. And you're like, King's Speech has a bit of that. And then it really just starts to like, obviously, Hurt Locker at the time is the lowest grossing best picture winner ever. Yeah, and then it's things like The Artist and Birdman and stuff, it became more common for like, oh, yeah, that movie did well. It made $40 million. Right. It did fine. Right. Like, like uh, Parasite getting up to like, whatever it was, 65 or 70 was kind of humongous. Whereas best picture used to basically be an automatic $100 million domestic, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And now it's like, right, Coda, Nomadland, Moonlight. It's what's interesting about this year where, like, I was saying to you right before we started Coda recording. made $4 billion at the box office. That's it? I forgot. Yeah, yeah, it did. And that's it only because of the pandemic. It would have made eight. It was, yeah. there was one guy <laughs> bought this really big ticket made of gold. <laughs> A giant gold ticket. <laughs> yeah, right. No, we were talking right before the record that, it, like, uh, at, at the time of this record, I guess the Oscars are happening right around when this episode comes out, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, the Oscars will be March twelfth. Uh, have they will have just happened? Okay. Uh, if it was at- so crazy when Ram Charan fell off the stage while doing Nandu. <laughs> wow. I don't know yeah. how Will Smith got back in there. And yeah. Will Smith caught him. It was like a hero <laughs> redemption moment. He used his hand for good. He caught him with just the one hand. <laughs> it landed on his feet. Anyway, I mean, I thought it was nice after The Way of Water won Best Picture for James Cameron to be like, as a special treat, let's watch Avatar 3 right now. And yes. they just pulled down the screen and right. sat there for three hours. And it was like a rough automatic form, but it still played. It Pretty was good. good. It was. Good. I couldn't believe he would show it. Yeah. Um, no, it feels like if everything everywhere all at once wins, which seems to be the presumed front runner at this moment, we are recording a month out. Uh, that will be like the highest grossing best picture winner in a good couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven or eight, at least, uh, if not more. And like an actual crossover populist favorite. Yeah, a film that people saw and did pretty well at the box office yeah. in the US. Yeah, and then you're, we were like saying like, oh, well, the outside sort of disruptor pick seems to be Top Gun Maverick, which is in the highest grossing film in years. Yeah. So it does feel like for the first time since Slumdog, you actually are going to have a movie that... I don't know, people give a shit about outside yeah, of because our since, nerdy circles. Yeah, since then, you've had this sort of gulf growing between, I don't want to, you know, reduce it and say between art and entertainment. Right. The kind of movies that most people go out and watch in theaters versus, yes. you know, the more critical darlings, but also not so much critical darlings as it is its own category of award darling. Yeah. Because if I'm not mistaken, uh, David, you might be able to shed some light on this. Please. Thumbdog was, I think, the film that began or at least strengthened the trend of um, fall film festivals being a pipeline into awards season? Um, the, Maybe to a greater the, degree? The, 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 truest, the true beginning of that is American Beauty. 
That's okay. where yeah. the sort of Toronto to Best Picture pipeline okay. becomes a thing. Now it's not a constant thing. It was the first time. But that it was the really first worked. time where a movie right. like exploded out of the festival circuit. Mm-hmm. I would say by Slumdog, that's a good question in general because I do feel like there's not a lot. I feel in the years in between, you it had a lot of movies that, that would launch at Toronto and would become close contenders. You get like a nomination. Like Juno or Sideways or whatever. But this, like, it'd be. Like being- La La Land. Right, yeah. it being City a winner stars. and it basically staying in like number one position from Toronto till the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really happen again because, you know, Crash is that weird scenario where it's at TIFF, doesn't hit. Right. Comes out many months later and yeah. then builds steam. So yeah, Slumdog is kind of the second time that happened. Yeah. Uh, American Beauty being the first. And then mm. after that, it just it just it's a it's an easy way to do it, you know. Just it's like it's become the the easiest. Get path. your buzz going yes. in the fall, you know, and you know have everyone salivating. Let's play the box office. Game. Mm-hmm. Real quick before that, I do actually yeah. have another Oscar related question. I'm Please. sorry. Um, so uh, at the time when this picked up all its Oscar steam, so in India, a lot of us were theorizing that you know why has this movie taken on the life that it has in the West? You know, uh, why is you know. Why is it getting all these awards? And some part of us felt like, is this because of like the 2008 terrorist attack that had just happened in Mumbai that right. kind of put Which the, was city, shocking. the city on the map, in a, in mm-hmm. on the global map in a way? Was Do you, over here, having been here at the time, do you get the sense that that had anything at all to do with it? No, I don't, I don't remember. I, I, I do remember that. Like that was one of those like global terror incidents that was not just sort of like one day news. That was a Mm. very, very massive shocking event. So maybe a little bit, but the movie is not really, you know, you know, too connected to, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe mildly. I think it, like like, it might've strengthened the emotion behind it. But I also, I just remember that film feeling unstoppable Mm -hmm. from September on. Okay, okay. You know, it, it, as David said, there was sort of the lurking in the wings, like, what if Benjamin Button is a masterpiece? And the second people saw it and they were like, it's kind of cold. It was like, done, done. Okay. Nothing else is winning. If Dark Knight had gotten nominated, then maybe there was a thought that it could have, like, just mm-hmm. through pure, like, juggernaut populism won. But then I, I just think everything only seemed to help Slumdog the more and more that season went on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was also, yeah, bad competition. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Do you, you like Benjamin Button? I do. I think out of out of those, those five. five, it's probably my favorite. Uh, although Ross Nixon did introduce me to, you know, what the whole deal was with Nixon. So that crazy guy. <laughs> he was not a crook. I know. This I know. Film, I know. I heard him say it. This film came out November 14th, 2008. Okay. Limited. Limited. Wait, 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 wait. What's going on? We're going to play the box office game. I'm sorry. <laughs> ben wants to put me in the hot seat. I mean, we have to. Absolutely. There's a quiz in our show. We've been talking about this for six months. What is that, the Home Depot thing? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, today's contestant, Griffin Newman. Hi. Uh, So, Griffin, this film comes out. It really does make everything feel more intense. It's very intense. Yeah. November 14th, 2008, limited Uh release. Mm -hmm. uh, On 10 screens, it makes uh, half a million dollars. Okay. Um, So it does not become a millionaire. Yet. It obviously will expand slowly and mm-hmm. gain much steam. But and hand just hovering over five different buttons right number now. Number one yeah. at the box office. New this week. Okay. Action film. Okay. 
franchise, major franchise. November 2008. Bit of a disappointment from the last entry. Major franchise. What, what number entry is it? Oh, that'll give it away. Fuck. That will get, because it's a deep number. It's deep. And the last one was really big. It's yes. 2008. And there was a peak. Uh, you said action? Action. Can you tell me what distributor? Sony. I'd like to use a, laugh, a lifelink distributor. <laughs> Sony Pictures. It's a Sony Pictures. It's not a Spider-Man. It's not... Uh, oh, it is Quantum of Solace? Quantum of Solace. So you got great. Okay, thirty-two thousand dollars. A film that Frida Pinto auditioned for. Oh sure, for yeah. the main role. That music has lyrics in my head, but they're in Hindi. Well, you could sing if. You Do you remember what the lyrics are? Just the title of the show. Gone <laughs> burn. They just keep on singing the title. Over over. No, that's just in my head. Oh, it oh, doesn't actually gotcha. have lyrics. Okay. All right. Yeah. Number two at the box office mm -hmm. was number one the week before. Okay. Also a sequel. Also a sequel. But a family film. It's also a sequel, but it's a family film. Animated or live action? It's animated. It's an animated sequel. Made $180 million. It made $180 The American box office. Million dollars. In the box, is it a two? It's number two. It's an animated number two in 2008. It's not an Ice Age. So I think it's not you a blue to, sky. Like, you need to like fuck with them more. <laughs> Uh, is it a DreamWorks? What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> you think you're so smart in your shirt? <laughs> He's not that aggressive. <laughs> I'm surprised you're able to button it up. Okay. Wow. Is it a DreamWorks film? Uh, yes, it's a DreamWorks. Is it? Oh, uh, actually, it's from Paramount. I'm sorry. I believe Paramount had a distribution I think they had, DreamWorks it's a at this time. Film. It's a DreamWorks this film. Uh, film, I believe, is called... Final answer. <laughs> Madagascar <laughs> colon escape to Africa. Correct. Madagascar escape to Africa. Wow. A You're false a title. Role. A false title. That movie's about them trying to escape from Africa. They right. land in Africa. They're trying to escape but from they it. They wanted to put two in It's there. a back they to did. the future thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Number three at the box office. Now for two weeks. Yeah. Okay. It's a comedy. <laughs> R-rated. R-rated comedy in 2000. An eight yes. November. It performed fairly well, mm -hmm. but not maybe on the level of say some of the big, you know, comedy hits of that time. Yes, you're we're talking your peak Apatow. Super bad. And, and this all isn't that. an Apatow film. Was Judd Apatow involved with it? It has this it has, role model. It's role model. Okay. Was he involved? No. But like it has the yeah, yeah. adjacent. Good movie. Yeah. Fun. Now, number four at the box office. Okay. <laughs> is. We should do this every time. It's kind of good. It's a number really good. three. It's a so number. It's a lot of sequels okay. in this box office. You said number four is a number three. Number four is a number three. Number four is a number three. Uh, It's a teen. Film. Oh, it's High School Musical 3 senior year. That's right. There you go. A huge hit. Yeah, a Halloween release. Yep, it's been out for a month. Yeah. Makes $90 million. Also, modern American masterpiece. Uh-huh. And number five mm -hmm. is a film from a great American filmmaker. Okay. Who makes a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. This film was Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's one of your favorites. 
but not for best picture. And what do you think you're doing wearing a red hat? <laughs> Poor jerk. You're never going to get all my money. I'm Mr. Billionaire. <laughs> Should be like that. Uh, what was the question, sir? What? I'm just trying to be like, you know, an antagonistic okay, game so show. So listen, hold on, wearing a red hat. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Not a Make America Great Again hat. Uh, oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot red hat ski has weird cap. connotations It doesn't have now. any text right, on right, it. Right, More yeah, of a yeah. life aquatic. Thank yeah, you. Exactly. I'm He's wearing got a Zizu. Yeah, all right, Steve Zizu. Much better. I'll take that burn. What, you have onions for lunch? You stink. Okay, well, now it's just back to this. attacking my character. Ben's really swinging a hatchet. My breath. What was your question? I'm on your side. Was it nominated for Best Picture? Thank you. No. But it was Oscar nominated. For acting. For acting. It's a director. You said you it's like a director or we, both we both like. like. We both like, but not one of their better I films. I think you don't like this film. I don't think it's one of his better films. You don't think it's one of his better films. Can you tell me which acting category it was nominated? It's a number Best. three? Uh, no, no, no. We've, no we've, uh, it was nominated that was high school for. Musical. Oh, okay. It was nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. It also got two design nominations cinematography and art direction. Wow. And is this, uh, did you say what genre? Drama? It's a drama. It's sort of a oh, uh, oh, crime oh. film. Is oh. is this Changeling? It's Clint Eastwood's Changeling. A movie I really don't like. Yes. But an interesting one. Sure. Remember how the poster, her head's all big? Yeah. She's looking at the kid. The kid's tiny. It kind of looks like she wants to eat the kid. Honey, oh, I ate that. Yeah. Changeling. It's one of the only Clint's that wasn't made of Warner Brothers. Yeah, it's a, it's a universal. And I remember that was another sort of like hot tipped Oscar yes. project that kind of sputtered out. Yeah. Although it got some attention. Mm -hmm. So what was the final winnings? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for him or for Slumdog Millionaire? Both. Oh, for Griffin, but a million dollars. Okay, great job. Slumdog only beat me by a hundred and forty. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, some other films in the top ten. Sure. Zach and Miri make a porno. They did hanging around. Mm -hmm. Soul Men. Mm. Is that Bernie Mac and Samuel Jackson? It is. I saw that film. It was disappointing. Mm -hmm. Malcolm D. Lee. The Secret Life of Bees covered on this show. Yeah. Uh, Saw V. Woohoo! No, V. No, never mind. Oh, bad one? Yeah, VI is the good one. VI mm. yeah, is a good one? Yeah. It's the one about the American healthcare system. I believe Saw V is heavy on Luke Danes from Gilmore Girls, though, so probably pretty good. Uh, and number 10 at the box office, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. A, a big ass hit. Barking its way to 94 <laughs> million domestic. <laughs> that movie eats at the box office. But yes. Yes. Slumdog Millionaire is waiting in the wings to take them all down sure. and be one of the biggest hits of 2008, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what's wild. It ends up being one of the... Obviously, the biggest hit of 2008 was The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. And you had, you know, your Indiana Jones, mm -hmm. your Kung Fu Panda. Your Wally. Your Hancock, your Wally, your Iron Man. Sure. Um, Pretty big. Yeah, you know. Whatever happened were... to that series? Iron Man? Yeah. It's weird. They did they, a couple of them. It's weird that it's just sort of like fallen away. You know, it feels like you'd really want to run that thing into the ground. <laughs> uh, Sananth, I loved your tweets about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, which one? Uh, you had a series of tweets before you had seen it about like, uh, I like this movie. It's a shame it doesn't tie into anything else yeah, in the universe. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see more franchise building. Yeah. I was really doing, just a standalone character story. <laughs> was doing the Ben Mackler thing because Ben was getting yes. a massage at that time. So he had kind of you had tasked to me in. with yeah. doing that. Yeah, Right. You had your, uh, Jonathan Majors is really good in this film. It's a shame. They totally waste him and they're never going to bring him back in anything else. <laughs> it was just a nice glimpse into an alternate universe oh. where I could believe that was the case. 
Ant-Man versus Wasp-Man, Quantum-Man. Hey, and if people want to see tweets like that, they should follow you. They should. Uh, I'm at Elon Musk. Yes, yeah. yes. Parody, parody. Parody, parody, parody. No, I'm, you can find me at, at Siddhant Adlako. Uh, and you, you have a bajillion bylines. You write all over the place. I do, yes. Uh, and I always love to read your writing. I was telling you right before we recorded how much I liked you did a series on, I guess it was all the Marvel films through to end game. That's right. Yeah. In 2019 for Slash Film. Yeah. Uh, where you really, uh, you examine them from a lot of angles, but especially within sort of the American uh, military industrial complex. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, hit on a lot of points better than I've seen a lot of other people. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. I do. You're just being nice because I was nice about your performance in the He-Man show. You were incredibly nice about my performance. <laughs> you weren't just a little nice. It yeah. was, uh, it's the exact review you want to read when you play Orko. Yay. We're, yeah. we're both Nepo babies here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the whole thing with He-Man for me was like, I don't know fucking anything about He-Man. Yeah. So all of the messing with the canon and all that, I'm yeah. just like, that's over my head. I, oh, I, 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 I grew up on He-Man. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I knew there was He-Man and Skeletor. It, it is that weird was it. with that show how it's like, there are people who grew up on it and love it and like what we did with it. There are people who had no prior knowledge who liked it a lot. And then there are people who care about it too much who are furious. Yeah. But anyway... Thank you for being on the show. Long overdue. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Helping to produce the show. And trying the apartment. To do Regis. And for her apartment, which became our de facto recording studio today. I feel like I'm losing Regis and I don't know who I'm becoming instead. Thank you to Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our uh, artwork. Thank you to Lay Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Thank you to J.J. Birch for our research, A.J. McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing, and you're welcome for not recording in the studio with the jackhammer. Thank you to Ben Shapiro for that outro. Thank you to Ben Shapiro for the outro. Tune in next week for 127 Hours, a movie about a man who is destroyed by a woke boulder. <laughs> <laughs> is that what happens there? The boulder's yep. just so woke? The woke mind virus <laughs> takes his arm. Okay, well... Uh, you can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some really nerdy shit, including our Patreon blank check special features where we do franchise commentaries and stuff like that. And as always, Danny Bull loves it when people are covered in poop. He does. <laughs>